Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Matt White, right here on SEN. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program on SEN 1170 AM Sydney and across the SEN network, wherever you tuned in via our app. The weather today, did you cop it? Did you cop it overnight because it bucketed down all sorts of activity going on at my place and at yours. Most likely showers will continue today, tops of 24, but then I think it's pretty much clearing away. It is Wednesday morning, which means that it's time for the man who lives by Wayne Bennett's golden rule, stay out of jail. Well, has done so far. The man who doesn't need his own season launch. The man who doesn't sweep or vacuum for that matter. The man who would only fly home mid-series if there was a free chicken snitty on the plane or in the Qantas Club. It is time for this man. He's the chief sports writer at the Sydney Morning Herald. It's Wednesdays with Andrew Webster. So that answers the question, what do I do before you get in? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I I I don't feel worthy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up for the well, next hang half on. hour with, on, that, on that intro. Okay, so let's tick through them. Uh, stay out of jail. Always. Uh, yeah, mm. Mostly. Don't, oh, the, don't need your own season there's, launch. There's a time in Rio there was it, a bit of an incident there once. There was um, that, hey, but a lot of it, athletes yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No season launch needed for you? No. No. I'm no, no pretense. Don't sweep or vacuum? Have you got one of those little? Well, I reckon you've got one of those little robot ban- vacuums. If, if I was if I was batting in the batting for Australia in the uh, second innings of the second test, I wouldn't sweep. What would it take it for seem you to, work. to fly home mid-series? Ooh, injury. Love, love is what it is. Good morning to you, mate. How's your week been? Good, good, good. I've uh, I've actually spent some time in Brisbane earlier this week uh, for Stan. Uh, Stan has an original series documentary on the Dolphins, and I went up to the uh, the launch on Monday at uh, at uh, Palace Cinemas in Brisbane. It was it, it's a, I only saw the first one, but it's um it's pretty fascinating. How many? And it, it was it was weird because it was the day after that that big trial loss to um to the Titans. Mm. The coach wasn't in a particularly good mood. Right. He but- bought, I knew I knew it was going to be I knew it was going to be tense when he like circumnavigated the the room and and brush the the red carpet. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah not happy. Then again, that's not a bad thing to do. You know, there's there's two He's ways. The coach. There's two ways of turning up. You can turn up and be put yourself in the spotlight, or you can. Oh, where I was just strutted. Do the squirrel. Down. You would have gone straight no, down I to the didn't. photo wall. I did not. I was actually right straight to your Instagram. No, I was right there. Did you learn? Yeah, we're going we're going to talk about this in a little bit of detail, but. Did you learn anything? You obviously learned something about the Dolphins. I don't know if there's anything more for you to learn in particular of Wayne Bennett, but what, what was your main takeaway from what you saw in that episode one? Well, if, firstly, it sh- I wrote about this in the Herald earlier in the week. It sh- at least showed um, his sense of humour. He's got a very dry sense of humour, Bennett. He, the, the man that you see publicly is very much at odds with the, the, the person that and the coach that people see privately. Um, so you get to see a bit of that. But also just... 
it, some of the argy bargy between managers, Peter O'Sullivan, the recruitment manager, and Bennett uh, and Terry Reader, the CEO, I found that really interesting too. Just how how tricky it's been to try and get this squad together. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think it's the worst squad. I'm sort of I didn't think they were, they were wooden spoon favourites at all. And then th- the way that they leaked those tries early against the Titans, it's obviously going to be a pretty tough season for them. All right, we'll cover that in detail as we move through this Wednesday morning. Also on the table for us to discuss, Webby Mitchell-Moses set to re-sign with the Parramatta Eels. I've got a few questions around that one. Obviously, they've got their man and he's got his deal and that's going to work for both of them. I, I, I wonder about the what if. What if they didn't get their man and what was their plan B? Because when you look around, with all due respect, there's not too many... Mitchell Moses kind of style halfbacks available. So how did Parramatta get themselves to that position or were they just banking on their man? The NRL season launch has been cancelled due to the CBA standoff or the position that they're in at the moment. We will pose the biggest question of that. Does it matter? Does it really matter? Because really in the scheme of things in 2023, I wonder whether their season launch is worth it these days. Drama at your Dragons. Could Anthony Griffin be under pressure? I think the answer to that is yes. But who is the best person to replace him? We will touch more on the dawn of the Dolphins. Australian cricket. I'm interested in your thoughts on this. So um, I went through the facts of the matter of those heading home. And I think that that was blown out of all proportion. But I think we can focus now on David Warner. Adam Collins, our SEN commentator, had some pretty interesting things to say to the Brekkie show this morning. So we'll replay you that and also pose a couple of questions. If this is, we know that this is the back end of David Warner's test career. The real question is when, and Adam Collins posed to Smokey this morning that I hadn't thought about, and we'll touch on that. And it's not the ashes. So we'll dig into those. So let's start at the top, Webby. Mitchell Moses, $1.2 million is the deal, places him in the absolute upper echelons. Term, essentially unknown. Let's call him an eel for life. Value for money first up? Well, it's got to get done first. <clears throat> I think um, the Herald went today with the story saying that it's set to happen. I spoke to Parramatta this morning. They uh, <coughs> are adamant that they haven't been told anything from his management. But <clears throat> it seems like the longer it went, the less likely I reckon it was that he was going to go. Um, I know that he wants to get it done and dusted before round one. That's only a week away. He's got media next week. He, he'll probably be very keen to to make sure it's uh, sorted before he gets all those questions about what the hell he's doing with his career. It's good. It's a good chunk of change, isn't it? One point one point two five. Someone was trying to tell me uh, yesterday that it was the the Tigers deal offer was around one point four. Which to me, it, it is a halfbacks market and becoming more so. I think that you just talk about Plan B. I don't know if they really had that much of a Plan B in mind, Parramatta. I think they were adamant they had to get him, and I think they wouldn't have. They obviously would have shown, wouldn't have shown their hand. But there is a real halfback lack of halfbacks or lack of halves out there. Full stop. The only other one really was Burton. When you think about it, mm. and and he got stitched and that's up. Done. He got he got stitched up at the dogs. So. Um, there wasn't, a, like, in terms of the, one of those cl- class halves coming on the market, there wasn't many. It's I think it's the right move for him. I really do. I, I, I love the, the revolution that's going on at uh, the Tigers. I hope it works. We won't, we won't, we won't know, obviously, until things get underway uh, this season. But I, I just think for Mitchell, he's entrenched there. He's gone this far with them. It's almost like Parramatta and him have come so far with one another that – 
they've got to make it they've work. They've got to see it through. They've got to see it through. You know, and that's that's the big question for the rest of his career. But he's a quality player. I know he has his critics, but he showed he showed in the the towards the back end of last season his his worth. I don't know if he's a one point four. One point four. That's what that's well what, that that places you. That's what the marquees are going to start getting. That's right, and that places you at the moment above Nathan Cleary. Um, above, say, a Tom Trebojevic. Mm. I mean, above the highest earners in the game. I, I'm with you. Good on him for getting this deal. Absolutely. And I think it's the deal that probably needed to happen at the end of all of this. He has the option in his favour for next year, and that expires on April the 1st. So yeah. there is, if there is a, 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 a countdown towards this for a time and date, April 1 is really the last day that they can do anything about it. But I tend to think um, along your lines of thinking that, you know, you're going to get this done before round one starts and you tie it up and it's done and dusted because it is, regardless of how much it becomes media fodder, it is a bit of a pain in the neck. You know, it is a talk, it is something of a distraction for a player. And think of, you know, take away the money factor. Think of any time you make a decision about your life, about your career, about your job, it keeps you up at night. There's no question about it. So for him to get this... And trying to play football. Trying to play football with all the other outside noise, for him to get this done is is worthy. So one of the listeners this morning raised a really good point, I think. Value for money players. Value for money players. And you're spot on. It's a halfbacks market, and that's going to be big money coming at them. Is 1.25 million value for money for Mitchell Moses? Well, it probably will be in this market, and it probably is. But value for money players is a really interesting one that we'll touch on. But you mentioned the halfbacks off contract at the end of 2023. So this is the list. Daniel Atkinson, Bailey Biondiodo, Jake Burke, Luke Brooks, Adam Clune, Jake Cogger, Tom Duffy, Kyle Flanagan, Dean Hawkins, Cody Hunter, Drew Hutchison, Cooper Johns, Sean Johnson, Brad Schneider, Blake Taff, and Brandon Wakem. That's the current list of those off contract at the end of this season. So that leads me to the what-if question. If Parramatta turn around and Mitchell Moses goes, I'm off, thanks very much, I'm going to the West Tigers, what's their plan B? Don't have one. Jake Arthurs? Well, yeah. Probably. And and who's to say that's not going to work? I dare say that that's what they probably would have looked at. But, I mean, I, th- I, think, I think clubs are happy these days, as I said, because it's such a halves market, just to have one quality half. So that, but that you know, with Dylan Brown, who really showed last season the type of player that he's going to, yeah. uh, you know, develop into. You know, at least they have, at least they have a, a qual- they've got some star value <clears throat> in the halves there. But they, that's why if they keep Moses, as we think, it's you know, it's a pretty formidable um, halves pairing, isn't it? Mm. But that's you look at that list there. No disrespect to those players, but they, they are, none of them are marquee players, and that includes obviously Luke Brooks. Um, given where he's at in his career, so mm. yeah, it's a, it's um, it's a good. T- we're in the wrong. We're in the wrong. We're in the wrong. <laughs> I knew I should have been. Wrong... A, you know what? I always knew I should have been a halfback. Yeah, yeah, I was, but not clearly not good <laughs> enough. We're in the <laughs> we're in the wrong position. I, I was a good sledger. Uh, I guess my question around that is, and I've never played that money ball game. I've never sat in that recruitment office. So this is coming from the outside looking in. I've never done the spreadsheet. But if you're the Eels, are you potentially exposing yourself to the position where? You get to be the last man standing in the room looking for the last available big name, big money uh, halfback out there. I know, but I, you know they can't really determine what 
what's going on with the rest of the market in terms of who's available and who's not. It just worked out that way. Yeah, but you isn't know? that your job? Isn't that part of the job well, of the but, modern the modern recruitment agent to go, well, okay, let's have a look and see how we try and marry up this. If if Mitchell Moses is coming off by April 1, mm. we've got to make sure that at least if he's not going to be there, there's somebody else available in that period. But it's hard. Period. But if it's, that's what I mean. There's, like, there's, there's probably 12... I was talking to Bennett about this um, last week for before the Dolphins, and he said, and about them trying to to put that squad together. And he said, how many marquee players, genuine marquees, do you reckon are out there? Ten to twelve. It's seventeen teams. Yeah, like it's just they're hard to get. Let yeah. alone get two of them in your in your in your halves. So if Parramatta get Moses as they as they say that that ha- they have to be applauded. And 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 given the increase in the cap to to twelve point one or whatever it is. A year, one point two of that on your, on your, um, on your halfback and capt co-captain is not that bad. Yeah. So, oh, he, he's not co-captain, is he? Yeah. No, he's not. No. But I, well, I, I look. Leadership I think, group, same thing. <laughs> I think you're right. I think they have to be applauded. This is the deal that they wanted clearly to do. They wanted to keep <clears throat> Mitchell Moses, and it looks by all reports as though they're going to keep him. Mitchell Moses obviously was in a good position, and he's played it well, and he's got a good deal, and he's at the club that he wants to stay at. So. I think all round the, the he's questions, unders. the questions, he's really unders. <laughs> the questions that we pose are all what ifs, but they're interesting ones. But at the end of the day, the Eels appear to have got their man. The NRL season launches. You mentioned the CBA and the salary cap. All that's. I get the feeling it's being, it's getting closer and closer and closer because all of a sudden PVL jumped into those negotiations. <laughs> you might have, you might have different. Oh. I, you know what? You can almost see it from about, let's yep. say, two furlongs back. And a few more. The, P, the, the great PVL was going to swoop in and save the day and get yep. it done. Which sort of begs the question, maybe you should have jumped in earlier. No. Where's the drama in that? It's February. Where's the drama in that? Oh, God. You know what it allows them to do? What? Save a bunch you, of cash on having a launch. Do you think CB... I, this, is what I, I, this is my theory on it. That they thought things were so toxic with the RLPA, with CBA negotiations, that they went, there's no way this season launch is happening. And then things have improved in the last couple of weeks and it's too, they've run out of time. Whoops. <laughs> oh, oh, how are we going to do that? Let's get some Jatson dip, um, <laughs> a case of, of Coke Zero and put it on a table. That'll do. Here's my broader question to our listeners. Does it matter to you that the NRL are not going to have a season launch? I used to love the season launch. I did back in the day. For it's like that. It was like the 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 start. It's like a it's like the Dally M's in many respects, mm. except for the except for the uh, the the tuxedos, right? The medals. I was going to say, but I except mean for the, the medals. Yeah, for the oh, general, no, no one wins anything. For the general punter, does it really matter these days? But do you, where's the marketing campaign been around this this the start of this season? Well, I'll tell you who is having a launch today: Fox League. I know, but they're the broadcasters. That's right. But the, the, but if it wasn't for the broadcasters promoting their coverage of the game. You tell me where the, the NRL's promoted their the start of their season in a week, mm. a week tomorrow. I think that's pretty ordinary. Is that a different question to a season launch, though? Because I actually well, think it's, that... It's all part of it. You've got to, you've it, got to mark... But the thing with the season launch is that it used to... It used to remember JT you kicked, a, kicked a ball off the top of one of the buildings in Sydney? Yeah. Into that... Sort of remember that? Yeah. So here's what I'd be doing. I mean, I know clubs. Grove. You kind of clubs have their own season launches. Manly are doing theirs today. Like I said, Fox League will be doing theirs today. That'll be all bells and whistles. Players will be there. Everything will be covered. There'll be marketing campaigns and all that kind of stuff. If you're the NRL, the players will be there. The players that'll be at the Fox Sports are those that are being paid. Yes, but they'll be there. 
I mean, that, that, that's what you've got to the do thing. these days. You've got to pay. <laughs> that's the thing. I, I've seen a, a genuine shift, and I'll give you the motorsport example. Formula One used to do season launches all the time, and it was individual teams. They would fly a bunch of journos over to Barcelona, for instance. Now you're, you're talking. You're also, yeah, exactly. Don't worry. I live Let's the dream. Get that going. And you'd all stand around, you'd take your photos, you interview your, play, your drivers, and then off you go. And then the world changed, and they realized they could do that online. So they saved a hell of a lot of cost. They got the same outcome in terms of their marketing and their push online. You can still get all the images. You can still get all the photos. You can still get the video. You get your grabs from your drivers and your sexy photos of your drivers that you want to whack on Instagram and away you go. So I've got the feeling that that's, this is the last time. I, I don't think we'll see another season launch proper going forward. Do you think it's the end of the season launch, Webby? I hope not. <clears throat> I hope not. <laughs> Just that. No, I don't. <laughs> I want to. Well, I want to go to them. <laughs> well, let's see. This is the thing. You want, I want to go free... there, get full of drink, try and not get in an argument with someone. You want your free chicken? Smitty. Try not to have a verbal argument. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six is the text line on one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Have uh, the Parramatta Eels got their man? Did they get value for money with Mitchell Moses? Congratulations to them if the deal is done. Does it matter to you that the season launch won't go ahead? This season, we'll touch on the Dragons, a bit more on the dawn of the Dolphins and the Australian cricket woes. Where are they at at the moment? And what happens next with David Warner's career? Back after this, Wednesdays with Webby. Yeah, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Wednesdays with Webby. So still got quite a few issues on the table that we need to get through. But first, let's get to your calls. Trevor is on the line from Rouse Hill about the Tigers. Go ahead, Trevor. Yeah, g'day, guys. Would it be fair to say that the Tigers utilised Luke Brooks to try to bait Mitch over to him, and that they haven't got their man, Would, could you see the Tigers now shop Luke Brooks around because they, don't, they won't need him at all now? Uh, I think they'll... What's he off at the end of this? End of next, is it? End of this year. End of this. I don't think they'll shop him. They'll, they'll, they'll need him this year. I think the problem for the Tigers... Like I've talked to Tim Sheens about... He's very excited about the Tigers' future, but he keeps saying it's a very, very long game because the juniors coming through in their system are really impressive. They think there's a couple of young halves there too that he's that he's keen on. They shouldn't let Jock Madden go, should they? Mm. That's that's the problem. So you're thinking, Trevor, that that now's the time for the Tigers to start looking to offload Luke Brooks? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, I reckon because there was always writing on the wall they wanted to get rid of Brooks for the last couple of years. But now and they said, well, we're going to keep Luke Brooks. And obviously his friendship with, with Mitchell will try to utilise that. I'm sort of, you know, looking mm. outside the, the square here and saying, well, we don't need, we don't need Luke anymore. Why not, why not offload him now? Well, well, sometimes, mate, I reckon you look at it. I mean, my initial thought was the opposite to that. My initial thought was, hang on a second, now they need Luke Brooks because yeah. they haven't got Mitchell Moses. And that's the way it works. I mean, Webby, tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, sometimes you're a... You're a halfback at a club. You know that they're going to try and get another halfback at a club. It doesn't happen for whatever reason. You're still the halfback at, at the club. And they've been so um, so public in their support of Luke because he's been linked to Newcastle for two yes. years in a row. Yeah. And they try to say that there was nothing in it at all. Well, that's just rubbish. You know, I, I know for a fact that Brooks was very close to going there. I know that they, the Knights were very keen on getting him. Um, but... <clears throat> It would change with the Knights. It'd go from one week, yeah, he's coming. It's just about to be done to, no, it's all off the table. So 
I just don't think they could get the numbers to work completely um, with him going there. But again, it's the big, it's it's a halves market. So if if he if you if well if you get rid of if not Luke Brooks and who then who yeah that's the problem. And, and they've got like you say but they've got plenty issue. coming through, but that's a couple of years away. And Brooks is there until at least the end of. 2023. Hey, Trevor, are you worried that there's going to be no official NRL season launch? Nah, it doesn't really worry me, to be honest. Last one I think I really remember is what, what Webby thought, said about when um, JT kicked the ball off centre point tower. Like, I mean, that was the last one I remember. That was it. Was you, that it's hard to top that, isn't it? it? It's hard to top that. Yeah. 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 That's the last one I remember, so yeah, there you go. All right, good on you, mate. Appreciate that call. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Yeah. I mean, look, that this these things happen all the time, don't they? Sometimes your position's under threat by somebody who might be coming to the club. Sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. And then it's probably the reaction to that. What I mean, I can't imagine Luke Brooks has been sitting around half training because he thinks that Mitchell Moses might turn up next year. I would imagine that Luke Brooks would be out there training just as hard as he does every single week, whether or not his future's secured for the year after or not. I mean, 100%. that'd be that'd be my read on it. And then perhaps it works the other way, that it galvanises you into that position. Okay, for whatever reason, I'm meant to be here this year and next, possibly after it. So I'm diving all in. And that'd be the message from Sheens and Benji and everyone at the Titans. At the very least, his, his next contract, wherever it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the NRL season launch, it has got you thinking this morning. I uh, couldn't care about the season launch, says Stu. Players come out with generic responses, and it's only for the media and the elite. Uh, <laughs> what about the elite media? Why did I look at you then? <laughs> elite media. There you go. Please. You put it straight into that. Keep those thoughts coming. So what's going on at the Dragons? We'll touch on that. A little insight into the dawn of the Dolphins documentary and Webby's thoughts about the Australian cricket woes. Uh, here's the news with Vanessa. Thank you, Vanessa. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. that open line. If you'd like to call, Webby is with us for the next 15 minutes uh, and then you get back to your real job. Oh, sorry, your day job. Uh, the Dragons, <laughs> the Dragons, my friend. So we posed at the very top here about Anthony Griffin under pressure. Yes, I think that's that's an answer. Have you ever been to the Winning Post Motel in Mudgee? No. Hmm. The scene of the 6 a.m. scuffle. Was it? No, it was, was a it? verbal argument. Yes, a minor scuffle. It was a verbal argument. Yeah. Last time I looked, most arguments were verbal. Verbal. Well, they're just doing like, what's a, what's a non-verbal argument? <laughs> One that you can't hear. <laughs> okay, yeah. this is the sound of a non-verbal argument. Ready? That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Look, it's not the worst crime in no the world. Way. It's not, you know, the rest of the squad behaved well. Um they were in bed by 2 a.m. 2 I'm more I'm more worried about how they played, to be honest. Yeah. The, the, the way they played in that charity shield was diabolical. In terms of the, the fight, no, they've been fined, no suspension, which I don't think it should have been. But it's just these things for a losing football team look far worse than they really are. But as I said, I, I thought the most the, – the telling uh, comment of the whole weekend for me was when – on Fox Sports, uh, the 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 halftime report coming out of the Dragon Sheds was from Anthony Griffin telling his players, "You don't want it enough. You don't you don't want it anywhere near as much as they do." It's February. Mm. If they're not wanting it in February, how the hell are they going to want it in? And it's a charity September? shield. I know, but they should at least be. You know that that's not not the sign you want in your last trial match. 
Um, but Anthony Griffin surely has to ask if they're not if they don't want it more than why. Now, why is that the case? Mm. So I just think it's been endemic in the poor old dragons for the last couple of years. Even his uh, his greatest supporters seem to think that you know he he'll be possibly the first coach sacked. Then then again, the last two seasons Anthony Griffin has started with this spectre about his his uh, his position. And and they've started quite well. The problem is after Origin, they just seem to to fade away. Uh, but but they've started the last couple of seasons quite well. But I don't think that was a particularly good sign out of the Charity Shield. I was really concerned about Tyrell Sloan um, in tears because of like to me that just shows you how much pressure is on that kid. And also. I feel I feel I do empathise for for Anthony Griffin in a lot of respects, like he, he just through virtue of of Ramsey's injury and and what's come through, he's gonna have to, you know, he's gonna have to persist with that twenty year old who was still so emotionally fragile after a tra- charity shield loss, mm. and the season hasn't even started, so I, I think that's a really worrying sign. Obviously they lost Amon indefinitely as he faces those police charges, so he's had to deal with a hell of a lot more than most other coaches going into the season. The question is, if not Anthony Griffin, then who? who? So what's the answer? I know for a fact there is um, there is interest at a board level in Jason Riles, who has, who has been an assistant coach to Craig Bellamy, an assistant coach to Eddie Jones, and an assistant coach to Trent Robinson. He's been doing it for 10 years. He's ripe for the job. He has been linked to the Melbourne job if it came up. Uh, and de- depending on what Craig Bellamy does, I don't know if he'd be. I don't know if he'd be if he'd have the uh, have the fortitude to um, to go to the Dragons in their current state because it's a big big job to to rebuild them. But Wollongong Junior played a lot of football there. Was a, a proud Dragons uh, a player for a lot of years. He'd he'd be great. There's a real big rap on him. I think he's more like a Craig Fitzgibbon than an Adam, Adam O'Brien. Um, I think he's been really sitting there waiting and waiting and lying off um, the best positions that are that are going to come up. So I, I reckon Rolsey wouldn't be the worst decision. If not, I know there's other support for maybe a Hornby slash Dean Young combination because they've both been, again, premiership winning players at the club mm. and – and and more of a, a link to to the the current success that they had ten years ago, obviously when they won the comp. Um, so there's yeah that that's an option as well. But other than that, what do you do? You'd have to go through uh, you'd have to go through you know various well I, I, various you know I, recycled coaches. On well, the you know market. what I want to ask you. So remember last year when the when the coaches dis, discussion came up, and it's going to come up again, and it will probably come up for Anthony Griffin, right? So. There was always the go-tos at, at the start of the season. Those that didn't have a job, those that were in the frame. Shane Flanagan, Anthony Seabold wasn't really discussed. Um, Cameron Serraldo, we didn't know his position. We didn't know Andrew Webster's position. So there were the, the, the obvious names just kept coming back and back and back. They're all locked in, essentially. I mean, Flanagan's got an assistant job now. Seabold's got a head coaching job. Webster's got a head coaching job. Serraldo's got a head coaching job. So regardless of who we'll be talking about to lose their job, because that's just, you know, the, the, the endless fodder that'll start, what's the list this year? 
What's the go-to list this year? Riles is on that list for sure. Mm. Is Des Hasler on that list? Are you talking about the Dragons or just across the board? I'm just talking about across the board. Oh, Hasler for sure. Because every time a job came up last year, there was four or five go-tos, wasn't there? Yeah. Remember we had the position vacant sign swinging at three clubs for a while there? We spoke about that last year. And then the job started to get filled. So next time we have the discussion of who's going, whose coach is on the line, who will be on that list? Riles? Hasler. Hasler. I mean, do you put Shane Flanagan there? Because yeah, you do. he's certainly in that position where Manly, they know if he gets a job, he's moving on. Yep. So Flanagan, do we have any other obvious choices that we're, that we're missing out on? I think, I think Young and Hornby would be perfect. Dean Young. I think they're, yep. they're, uh, they'd be good for, for the Dragons. I think they see that as an option. Some do at the club. Yep. The, Walker, the that, Walker Brothers. The Walker Brothers, as always. <laughs> they always jump up. It's an interesting one. So if you've got that uh, in your head, let us know. Not so much coach under pressure, but when we just start to discuss those coaches who could possibly start to take jobs if they become available, what's the list for 2023? Very different to what it was at the start of 2022. All right, the dawn of the Dolphins. So you're up there, and I love Wayne Bennett's quotes. Um, I've got two rules. Rule one, don't be late because all you're doing is saying you're more important than the rest of us. That's a really good rule to say to a group. The second is stay out of jail. But then he said, sometimes I'll be flexible on that one if I need you in the game. Which cracking is, jokes. Which is... He's Jerry, the Jerry Seinfeld of, uh, <laughs> of rugby league. So the dawn of the Dolphins, it, do you think it's a, it's a little bit of a gamble to give us so much of an insight before they get going? Or do you think it's a wise move to open up this club probably more than what we expected? I didn't know they were doing it. Terry Reader, the CEO, agreed, agreed to it before even signing Bennett. Um, he thought it was important to try, and there was actually a lot of interest. I, I get, it's a good, it's a good idea. So it sort of charts the the club from October twenty twenty one after they got the bid, all the way through to the first just before oh, this last trial, basically. Yeah. Um. It's it's he the, uh, Nick Piper, the producer, still editing the last couple of um the last couple of episodes. Did they give any insight into? How they just went for dolphins, not Redcliffe dolphins. Yes, they do. They do. Great. Mm. There's a bit more, bit more sort of on why that's the case. Yep. Which I get. It was like yeah, the Redcliffe because the Redcliffe dolphins are the the Queensland Cup team. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't. What what else would you have called it? North Brisbane. I, I was fine for it. We were on air when that came through, and that was one of the first things that I posed because the official press release came out, and there was no mention of Redcliffe in it. And I remember Tommy and I discussed on air. I went, hang on a second. It appears to me as though they're just going the Dolphins. The Dolphins. Which is... The Finns. The Finns, which is going to happen. They like calling themselves the Finns. Do they? Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, it's that's all thing. right. Um, it's a thing. Look, I I, I was... Um, it was being at that premiere on, uh, on Monday. I have to say, when the whole squad, they all walked in in their Dolphins blazers... And it was just you, you understood just there by looking at them all in totality, just the lack of depth in the club. Like there's a lot of fresh young faces there. There's a couple of standout marquees with the with the Bromwiches and uh, Felice Cafusi, who was the first signing. It's Bennett doesn't it doesn't seem to be panicked at all by it. I have to say he seems to me to be a little bit anxious. The more I talk to him in the last sort of few weeks. But if you talk to him about it, he's, I, you know, he he he's not um he's not panicking about 
the roster, and it's it's interesting in the uh, in the documentary. Peter O'Sullivan, their recruitment manager, says that how important it is to get it right. And if you talk to all these sort of general managers of football now, or, or recruitment people, who, or whoever's looking after the salary cap in clubs, if you get it wrong, it's a it's a five to ten year. Turnaround. Yeah. So you, you, as Sully said in the doco, it's like you really pay for your mistakes. Um, so I don't think that, that, you know, but they went after, you forget how many marquees they actually went after. Yeah. How yeah. many big players they went after. I mean, after. do you remember when Brandon Smith was walking around in there and coming out of the club and, and saying, oh, no, I've just been playing in the pokies. And we thought, well, hang on a second. All this is, and, and, and it was a parade of big names. There's no question about it. If I think about something that we, spoke about earlier about the NRL season launch and does it really matter? And you, you'll quite rightly point out is where's the ad campaign? It belongs mm. in the broadcaster's world, but the game has a duty to push itself. I think one of the biggest missed stories coming into this season in terms of a push, because remember the excitement when the Raiders came in and the Steelers came in? It's the mm. same year, wasn't it? 82? Yeah. yeah. Remember that. There was something really genuinely sort of uh, fascinating about that. We don't know what this team's going to deliver. We don't know what they're bringing in Canberra. What does that mean? Hang on a second. The Steelers are now representing Wollongong. This is fantastic. That was, mm. There was a big push no matter where you were in the league. And it's kind of like the Dolphins have been left out there to do this themselves. And it's almost like most people, because of Bennett, because of the fact that they've missed out on players, are going, oh, well, they're just going to fail. Mm. I, I think it's incumbent on the league to build that story. And I think they could have definitely built that story better leading in to this season. The Dolphins have had to do it themselves. So we'll check out that Dawn of the Dolphins or Dawn of the Finns, as we now know. So can you do a, Maestro, can you do a, uh, a dolphin noise? Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to do a movie scene. <laughs> give us a flipper. Give us a flipper. Just finally, your final comments on the Australian cricket woes. So, the question around David Warner is an interesting one. Sure, got to come back. I've got no problems with all that. That's the way it's going to happen. The first Ashes test is on June 16. The World Championship final, which Australia will more than likely be in. Oh, I don't know about is that. The week, well, Sri Lanka would have to beat, even if it goes completely pear-shaped, Sri Lanka would have to beat New Zealand 2 nothing for Australia not to be there. Is so, that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, Australia will be there, should be there, the week before. And Adam Collins posed, which I'll play a bit later, but Adam Collins did pose a really good um, point that perhaps if David Warner is going to call it quits at the, you know, his test career, call it quits, the World Championship final could be the spot to do it and then not have to go in through to the ashes. Through to the ashes? Through to the ashes. It's going to be hard being in, in, the, in England and, not, and playing in that. This is why I want your, your thoughts. No, I'd give him the ashes. You give him the ashes? Well, I, I tell you what, it's either now you either pull the you either rip the bandaid off now and that's it for him, which would be no shame. And just and players like come and go because of injuries all the time. Um, or I think he either plays in all all of it in England or none. So go for the whole lot. Yeah. Or don't go at all. Yeah. All right. But and if they tell me who's the, well, who's the better option? Well, at the moment. I mean, Travis Head will end up opening. Mm. Um, so you, you know, there are there are options there, and that's that's probably what will end up uh, happening. It's just the future down there. It was something that popped up, and and Colo made a really good point of it. He said that's the halfway house mm. for somebody like Dave Warner to step off, or Cricket Australia to tap him on the shoulder, and not a bad halfway house to do it. Assuming they're there in the final. Nice work, Webby. We'll speak to you next week. Thanks, Matt.
Uh, former New Zealand international, of course, SENZ morning host Ian Smith will join us as we dig a little bit deeper on the cricket issue. Here's what Adam Collins had to say to Brecky on SEN 1170 AM this morning with Missile and Vossi. So shadowed last summer that this was the last year of his test cricket career. He'll become a white ball cricketer only after that. I actually think what he might do is retire after the World Test Championship final, if they make it. Yeah, they, they probably will anyway, because mm. even if everything goes wrong in India, Sri Lanka would need to beat New Zealand 2-0 to, to knock them out. Mm. And I, I, I can't see that happening in reality. But mm. yeah, I wonder whether Warner might see that as the natural jumping off point, being the end of the World Test Championship cycle, a chance to play off in that one-off you know, grand final style game at the Oval. And if they were successful there, um, sure, it would mean him not staying on for the Ashes. But yeah, I think that might end up being the halfway house. So that's the key, isn't it? The halfway house. It's an interesting uh, scenario that Adam is posing there. And those dates are, are kind of interesting as well because the World Championship final scheduled at the Oval, uh, June 7 to 11. And then the first test will be starting the week after that. So what do you do? What does Cricket Australia do here? And what do you do if you're David Warner? He's on the way back, um, as in back to Australia, and looking to recuperate from that hairline fracture in the arm and obviously the concussion as well. So it's an interesting point that he is at. We also want to know this morning your number one golden rule. So off the back of Wayne Bennett saying he's got two two rules, rule one, don't be late, rule two, stay out of jail. Have you got a golden rule (laughs) that your football team or the Australian cricket team should be living by. Just one. One golden rule. See if you can outdo the super coach himself in Wayne Bennett. Uh, 0457 736 736 is that number. And also this morning, Derek Walton Jr. from the Sydney Kings joining us. And Olivia Bernhard, I'll tell you more about him. He's the co-founder of On Athletics, um, which is a, a global organisation, but there's a very good Australian Uh, link to this one. More after this. Welcome back. We're heading towards the 10 o'clock news with Vanessa. Uh, Ian Smith will join us after that. Of course, New Zealand will take on England in the second test this Friday in Wellington after the day-night test um, that New Zealand went down to 267 run first test loss against the English. So how do they turn that around? And what's uh, Smithy's thoughts, Ian Smith's thoughts on the Australian situation, can they turn it around for the third test against India? Just a text from Daniel before we get to the news, just on the Dolphins, experts and media commentators who are going on about the Storm losing so much experience with Kafusi and Bromwich Brothers, etc. leaving. That same experience was on show in their trial against the Titans. Father time remains undefeated. Storm did the right thing, opting for youth. It'll prove to be the case as the season unfolds. Thank you for that. Uh, Daniel, boys, just a question. What's going on at the Dragons? Uh, is it the head office? Is it the players? The coach is proud. The club is very strong, but now it's a shell of itself. What's going on? Well, we touched on that with Webby. Um, the question is, what happens next? The Dragons' disagreement was uh, Zane Musgrave questioning the quality of Rubber's beard. Um, them's fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't a fight, was it? I mean, it was the it was the verbal, non-verbal argument. Was it the biggest deal? Nope. We're near it. Uh, all right. Keep those texts coming. 0457 736 736. And your golden rule. What's your one golden rule? Have you got one golden rule for the Aussie cricket team and your footy team? 
Welcome back. Our second hour of the program from the Sydney Kings. Derek Walton Jr. will join me. So the Kings have the New Zealand Breakers as the final series gets underway next week. I wonder what the the gap in between finishing that final semi-final series and having the week or so until you get to the grand final decider, how that how much that interrupts your momentum. We'll be chatting with Derek Walton Jr. Uh, this hour. But let's start with cricket. Ian Smith has joined us on the line, former New Zealand international, of course, of hosts over there of SENZ Morning Show. Good morning to you, Smithy. Uh, Matty, good morning to you. Hey, let's start in your backyard. So I, I caught a bit of the first test New Zealand v England. I caught a bit of um, Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson going nuts with the pink ball. How does the New Zealand team bounce back for that second test starting in uh, Wellington on Friday. Well, first of all, my backyard's not looking too flash at the <laughs> moment, Matty, because I live in Hawks. I live in Hawks Bay, of course. So yeah, uh, we've been uh, suffering a wee bit round here. Fortunately, I got off uh, pretty much unscathed, but uh, a lot of uh, friends and uh, people, um, particularly in the rural community, are absolutely devastated. But uh, you're right, um, life goes on, and that means a cricket test this weekend. And uh, that was a poor performance uh, by New Zealand. There's no doubt about that. They didn't react well to. Uh, like a lot of sides haven't, uh, to the way that uh, Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes are wanting England to play. Uh, they just came out of the gates. They, ma- they made a mistake, I think, right from the outset. Uh, they, you know, they asked England to, to bat first in the sun, um, you know, which was crazy. Uh, everyone knows in day-night test matches, you actually uh, are much better off batting when the, li- uh, when the lights aren't on uh, because the lights uh, make it a little bit more difficult. So what happened initially there, they set themselves up to bat twice uh, at night time. Uh, because of the way that the test match unfolded. Uh, they gave that advantage to uh, England and they, uh, and they never really recovered. So from that point of view, it was uh, a disappointing performance uh, over very quickly. Uh, second, uh, second innings collapse. And so they head to Wellington. Of course, the Basin Reserve is generally a, a result pitch uh, as well. It usually has a bit of grass on it. Uh, but I don't quite know um, whether New Zealand have got it within them at the moment to turn this around. Uh, one on attitude and one on abil- uh, two on ability. You make a good point about the teams that are coming up against this baseball phenomenon, right? And and there's been so much discussion about it. And all the focus, Smithy, as you know, is is on what England are doing. But you make a good point about what the opposition teams have to do to negate that because it's a real thing. It's right in front of them. So how do you – I mean, how would you approach trying to negate what England are doing? Because clearly they've got their plan and they're sticking to it. You've got to somehow counteract that. Is there a way – to look at that? Oh, look, the, the way to look at it initially is, is if you've got a new ball in your hand, uh, you bowl those areas that get people out, um, you know, which is line and length. Um, you've got to use a new ball to its advantage. If that does not work, then you've got to have plan B up your sleeve. Now, plan B generally is to go um, a lot more defensive uh, and sit back. I, I don't. You can sit back at the England team. You've got to keep going at them because they're, they're going to give you opportunities the way they want to play. Uh, but you, you've got to be a bit um, zany, if you like, with some of your field setting um, and, and just uh, be a little bit more unorthodox in the way you're thinking. Because at the moment, they're dominating everyone's thought patterns. You, you, they're not having to think too much. They're just playing this, this cricket, this brand of cricket, which is, is it's risk-free. And, and they're having fun doing it. You've got to take the fun out of it for them. <laughs> you've, got, you've, you've got to actually uh, come up with something, I think, that suggests that they've got to do some thinking for a while. They've got to do some reacting. At the moment, they're playing proactive cricket. Everyone else around the world is playing reactive cricket. It's not working. It is absolutely not working. And I'm sure right now, even though they're going for a tough time in India, Australia will be thinking about um, you know, the ashes coming up 
and how they're going to counter this. Um, because at the moment, uh, the stock tried and true form of test cricket is not working. Zany, risk-taking, they're the kind of words that have been attached to the shortest form of the game, to T20 form. And now it's starting to come into the conversation around test cricket. So do you think that this... This continues to change the face of Test cricket. We don't know how long this style of play is going to last and be successful for England, but do you think that this is a bit of a tipping point in the change of approach to Test cricket? I think so. Mm. I I spoke to Marcus Triscothic on our show yesterday. Now, uh, Australian cricket fans will remember Marcus Triscothic, 14 Test hundreds, uh, quite a traditional uh, top-order player in his own right. He's now the batting coach. Uh, for England, he's had to rethink things himself. Yeah, um, you know, rethink the way they practice in the net. He said, if you, you go to watch the nets, uh, an English Test net session, uh, you, you'd probably uh, easily mistake it for them preparing for a white ball game tomorrow instead of a Test match because they are instructed and encouraged to hit the ball a long way and often, uh, and, and they're practicing that and then they're implementing that out there. So, I mean. That is, I think, the way um, we've got to start thinking about it because not only is it uh, successful, it's uh, it's really entertaining, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's actually quite fun. And I guess if you're a part of the 11 that's out on the field and particularly the bowling attack, you're on the receiving end of it, it's far from fun. Mm. Uh, but in terms of a spectacle, it's, it's mighty encouraging for Test cricket. I agree, mate. As I was switching around, so I'm sitting, you know, here at home in Sydney, the India test is going on and, and you know what you're going to get when you, you switch over. It's going to be, it's going to be dusty. It's going to be dour. It's going to be a hard challenge. And I love that stuff because I'm a traditionalist, but then I was switching over to watch that, the pink ball under lights, you know, these guys having a crack and it was entertaining. I, I mean, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have a chip on the table in either England or New Zealand. So I just found it entertaining sport, which was interesting to watch. You mentioned plan A, plan B. When we look at what happened with Australia and the dissection of the um, sweep or not to sweep has been pretty thorough. But did you see the fact that Australia just went with plan A, which clearly was to sweep, whether or not it was a team directive, but there was no plan B, C or D if plan A didn't work? Look, here's the thing about the sweep shot. Uh, it was one, I can tell you, being a wicket keeper, it's a preferred option of wicket keepers because they <laughs> like to play square of the wicket. Yes. I love the sweep shot, a lot of runs out of the sweep shot. But it's, it's, it's not one you can just um, invent overnight. If, if, it's not your, if it's not your gig, if it's not your uh, strength, uh, it's, it's not easy to perfect uh, right up, right, right, right from the, you know, the, the mm. get-go. Um, and then you, you, you factor in the fact that who you're trying to sweep against and what conditions. Uh, you've got to get it exactly right. Uh, and so if it was a blanket plan, um, uh, it was a dangerous one. It was a really, really dangerous one. I, I think Australian batsmen traditionally, when they play spin, are better using their feet. Um, you know, um, over the years, that's been one of their strengths, uh, getting to the pitch of the ball or trying to, and if you can't bail out uh, with a defensive shot. Uh, but the sweep shot is, um, for instance, we, we uh, played New South Wales back in 1985, in a, a game prior to a test match uh, in Sydney, and we all got out sweeping, and we were banned. We were banned from sweeping. Now, this is a, quite an interesting story, Matty, because John Bracewell was brought into our team very late in the yeah. piece going into the Sydney test. Um, he, didn't, he wasn't part of the team meeting where Glenn Turner banned us from sweeping. He wasn't part of the team meeting. He hadn't arrived in the country. He, he went in at number nine, scored 83 not out, 70 of which, 70 of which were sweeps. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sometimes it's good not to be there at the meeting. I, I reckon poor old Matthew Kuhneman, I, he, I don't know if he was at the meeting or not, but he decided to reverse sweep and he came in last. The blanket ban, I mean, Andrew McDonald says, oh, sorry, the blanket approach, Andrew McDonald has said, no, this wasn't an approach. So from your experience, what it, what, how does that translate? I mean, how do five or six players go out there, essentially get out in this the same kind of shot in the same way, yet it doesn't appear to be a team directive. Does that does oh, that marry up, Smithy? Doesn't to me. It, it doesn't marry up. I mean, uh, unless the, the the they had a betting um, meeting with the betting coach, or the betting coach has separate ideas to uh, the overall coach. Um, mm. I think it's Michael Divanuto these days uh, at the you know um, in terms of that, whether he got alongside them and says this is this is my answer to it. I'm not saying you have to do it, uh, but my answer to uh, uh, to taking these guys on out of the rough areas or whatever uh, is to play this way. I can't remember too much about uh, Michael DiVanuto, whether he was an accomplished sweeper himself, but there are those that are and those that profit um, on those kind of pitches. But as I said before, um, if you think it's an easy plan just to adopt overnight, it isn't. Because yeah. when you play a sweep shot, as you look at the... You look at the dynamics of a cricket bat. They say play straight because you're offering more wood at the ball when you play straight. You're looking straight down the line of the, of the ball uh, with your bat face. Now, when you, uh, of course, start to sweep uh, and then you want to roll your wrists in that, you're offering very little of the actual bat face available to hit the ball and make clean contact. That's where the risks come out. Uh, look, uh, uh, they're clutching at straws. You know, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. They're, they're being beaten up badly. And they haven't got uh, the answers, it seems, at the moment. So they're searching for them. And I'm not sure they're, they're going to come up with them in time, to be honest. Final one on David Warner. Adam Collins posed an interesting one this morning to say, look, if, if this is the, the start of the end of Davies' test career, um, 103 tests for Australia, he's come back to Sydney with that hairline fracture, that perhaps the halfway house to jump off on would be the World Championship final, assuming that Australia end up there, which they're more than likely. So... Could you see that? Could you see a, a, a finale for Davy Warner in the Test Arena, what, a week before the Ashes would start? Well, there's romance in that, isn't there? I mean, it would be lovely from uh, David Warner's point of view. He's, I think he's intimated he wants to play a little bit longer than that. Uh, but, of course, you've got to be playing well to do that. You've got to be fully fit to do that. Uh, look, it would be nice to think so. It would be nice that he, he would have a, a swan song. I think it's at the Oval. It's uh, not a bad ground to, to bow out on, although I think he'd much prefer to bow out at the, the SCG or somewhere a little bit closer to home. Uh, if he's not playing well enough, uh, and if someone comes up to, with the goods between now and the time that he becomes available again, uh, they're going to have to run with that. And, 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 you know, cricket and sport at the highest level can be quite brutal at times. There is room for romance, but the romance usually comes around success as opposed to failure. And that's uh, where David Warner is sitting at the moment and where Australia is sitting right at the moment. I don't think there's too much room for, for that kind of thing. Uh, people will demand more. Always good to chat, Smithy. Stay safe over there, mate. Cheers, Matty. Always good to catch up, mate. Ian Smith, uh, catch him on SENZ Mornings. So just tune in via the app, uh, 63 Tests for New Zealand. Some interesting takes, isn't it? Gee, it's fascinating to talk to somebody who's been there, done that, um, and has a very, very keen eye on everything that's going on. And, look, I agree with those discussions around the English approach to the game, you just get the sense that, yeah, Baz Ball's a phenomenon, but it's a real thing. And and as soon as I heard Smithy talk about, you know, the oppositions just can't, the, these opposition teams just can't work it out at the moment. So now the onus is on them. 
How do you negate that? Instead of standing there going, well, hang on a second, they're doing something different. And all of a sudden we do have to think about zany field placings and how we um, counterbalance this craziness. So is this the a little shift? I mean, test cricket over the course of, you know, 100-odd years, test cricket just moves very slowly. It just shifts very, very slowly, and that's part of the beauty of it. BBL and T20 and and even one day international, that happens fast. Change happens fast there and you've got to catch up really quick. But this is a different era that we're leading into and it seems to be sticking around for a long time and a 267 run defeat in the first test for New Zealand is nothing to sneeze at. So they're going to have to get their act together quickly uh, against England in the second test. Not a day-night test. So back to normal day conditions but they're going to have to work out how to stop this juggernaut that is the English team. Meanwhile, Australia has problems of its own. 0457 736 736 is the number. Golden rules. Have you got any golden rules? So uh, Wayne Bennett, as Webby did in his article and then expanded on it this morning in the documentary on the Dolphins, played a bit of comedian, did a bit of Jerry Seinfeld for us. You know, rule number one, stay out of jail. Well, rule number one was don't be late which is a very good rule for a team. And whilst the joke was around, you know, the old stay out of jail, but hey, if I need you, I'll play. Rule number one's not bad. Don't be late because all you're doing is saying you're more important than the rest of us. Now that's going to square up anyone, hopefully, who can think about working in a team environment. So your golden rule and why. Give us a golden rule if you've got one for the Aussie cricket team and your footy team as well. Tommy would attest that the Roosters' golden rule... Uh, in inverted commas, says the pearl, he who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> so de- that didn't take long at all for us to take it straight towards Tommy and his roosters. Sharky's on the line. Quick call from you, Sharky. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Good morning. A quick two things. Just getting our players agreement thing. I ran you three weeks ago and I told you, remember? Mm. Soon as that, soon as um, Valandis gets involved, it'll be done. Again, makes that data a bit surplus. Um, just on Mitch Moses, 1.2 million, really? This is a problem, see? A lot of clubs pay overs. I mean, look at Nico Hines, Sharks offered him, what, four-year extension, 850 a year, um, which that, that includes, uh, I guess, extra 250,000 a year for the next two years as well. So you do it over five years, or five, or five years, it looks at about extra 100 grand a year. So it works at about 950 a year. Mm. That's your bargain money. I tell you, that's how you win a comp. That's how you build a competitive team. Always take the unders if you want to win a comp. All right. Good on you, mate. Thank you. You've got a – it's a halfbacks market. It's a halves market. And Webby made that very clear, and I 100% agree with him. And you've got to take the money that's there. And if you're the last man standing when the chairs are being moved around, happy days, folks. <laughs> happy days. And Mitchell Moses, if that deal's going to be locked up, has done a very good deal for himself. The Parramatta Eels clearly wanted their man. They had to pay to get him. They paid to get him. That's how this one's played out, and good luck to all of them. If you can save a bit of money on the other side or make a bit more money on the other side, then good luck to you on that one as well. Appreciate that one. 300-01-1170. It's 20 minutes after 10 o'clock. Welcome back uh, to the program. So just a little bit of news uh, that was in the news update with Vanessa, but we can flesh it out a bit more. So Latrell Mitchell, Jack Whiten have turned up together at the ACT Magistrates Court to answer to that uh, wrestle outside the nightclub on February 5. Both players have pleaded not guilty to all charges. 
They've asked the court to relax bail conditions until a hearing in late October, uh, therefore after the NRL season finishes. The Melbourne Storm Leadership Group has been announced. So Justin Rodsky, the Melbourne Storm CEO, has been on our sister uh, station in Melbourne this morning. He's announced the club's leadership group. It is Harry Grant, Cameron Munster, Jerome Hughes, Ryan Pappenhausen, Christian Welsh and Tom Eisenhuth, they're all in the group. The captain will be announced today at a press conference, so you'd expect probably Christian Welsh to be the captain of the Melbourne Storm. That'll be announced a little bit later on this afternoon, and we'll uh, have a listen to Justin Rodsky's interview on SEN 1116 this morning and see if there's anything in there uh, with you. By the way, when it comes to sweeping and what Smithy was talking about just there, if you go to the SEN Cricket Twitter page, pretty easy to find, Ian Healy's done a masterclass in the SEN offices and he's, he's used the bin as the wickets, but I'm telling you, it's a video masterclass that you have to watch. Uh, somebody who's involved in this cricket coaching game, I'll be taking it to training, assuming it doesn't, assuming it goes ahead this afternoon because just a great, great example of what to do and what not to do, importantly, and that's coming from Heels and obviously the way that he does it is fantastic. Golden rules. Golden rule for the Aussie cricket team. Don't get into a position to sweep uh, before the bowler starts his run-up, says Spud from Ashfield. Bit of a giveaway, you think, Spud. <laughs> a little bit of a... And then if you're not going to execute at first, then you've given away what you're not going to execute. Yep, I get you. Golden rule when playing for your country, it's a responsibility not to be taken lightly or for granted. Okay, that's good. No name on that, but thank you for that. Responsibility not to be taken lightly or for granted when playing for your country. Um, I've never played for my country, but I could tell you that, I, I, you know, that the, I was at a function once where Matty Hayden spoke about the day that he got his baggy green and how it arrived in a cardboard box underneath all this stuff, you know, pads and bats and gloves and all sorts of stuff that they get for free anyway, and he was only a young bloke. And the emotion that he spoke with about receiving that baggy green, digging through it like a dog, you know, digging for a bone in his lounge room, gets to the very bottom of there, that box, and there's that baggy green, and he pulled it out. The first bloke he saw was his dad standing next to him, and they both shed a tear and hugged each other. When you speak of the responsibility not to be taken lightly, that's the kind of thing that comes to mind for me because those guys treasure those moments, no doubt about it. And then sport sometimes takes over the cut and thrust of it. You forget where you are, what you're doing. You're just trying to survive. So I can see both sides, no doubt. Golden rule, be honest and sincere. Or at least, says Mike, be able to fake it convincingly. Make it or fake it, baby. <laughs> you got to do one of the two. Uh, golden rule here from Filthy. Uh, for the Roosters, stay down and get the penalty like everybody else. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. We're also building um, with our chat with Webby the the list of potential coaches. So we'll do it at some stage because at some stage history tells us that unfortunately a coach will probably be out of a job this season. It'd be remarkable and a miracle if we could get all the way through and not have to have that conversation. But last year the same names kept popping up, and it wasn't until the back end of the year that those names were put in put in their places, as in put in their jobs. So there are still a few names that are regular that are going to pop up, and um, Shane Flanagan's going to be one of them. He's an assistant coach at the moment, but Des Hasler's now available. 
Jason Riles, as we know, is available. Have you got any names that you think will be first to the fore, not those that are in the frame to lose their job? It's just a yuck conversation to have, but we'll be having it sooner or later. But the other side of that conversation is who's on the list? Because because it is a very different list at the start of 2023 than it was to 2022. Dean Young uh, is getting quite a few shout-outs, obviously, for the Dragons on our text line. You can keep that going, 0457 736 736. Ben says, I was just talking to a guy at work. He didn't even know the NRL was kicking off next week. So would the season launch have made a difference about this or would an ad campaign have made a difference about this? I've seen ads for Channel 9. I've seen ads for Fox. I haven't seen a full-blown campaign. Have I missed something? I haven't seen a full-blown campaign from the NRL. Did they need the players' input in that? I don't think so. Um, Let me know your thoughts around that. I mean, would a season launch have changed? I think that's probably the biggest question out of that. Uh, Steve says the season launch after two weeks of trials is akin to an election campaign launch three months into the never-ending promise season. An absolute waste of time and money. Thank you, Steve. Here's the news. Thanks, Vanessa. Don't forget the Bryden's Lawyers Your Verdict competition. So you've got to pick one NRL winner each week for your chance to win $2,500. Head to sensurvivor.com.au. The biggest tip I can give you, don't listen to my tips on that. I mean, one's a struggle sometimes, but all, it's all you've got to do. Just one winner each week, two and a half grand up for grabs. sensurvivor.com.au is the place to be, and that just continues all the way Throughout the season, thanks to Bryden's lawyers, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the number. If you would like to call this morning and join the morning program, as two a.m. Tommy has done, buying into the arguments. Have you got a golden rule, Tommy? Do you live by a golden rule? Um, do I live by a golden rule myself? Mm. Uh, no, <laughs> but I've got a golden rule when it comes to footy. When yes, it comes to on field. I don't know. Yeah, I can say it. Don't shovel the shit. <laughs> That's just blatantly. It's essentially don't push the pass, like so many times. You know, mm. when you're going going busted, we don't need offloads when you're not looking out the back. We well, don't. Need, we you, don't do, you do in the preseason. We, we don't. Yeah. Well, we don't need silly kicks going to no one, which end up dead, and you give the opposition a seven tackle set. So that's that's my advice. Don't okay. shovel the. You know what? Don't shovel it. Don't push the pass. Don't push the pass. All right. I what mean, about if, for an Australian cricket team? Ooh, um, that's a great. Do your homework. I don't know. Are we go. Let's go back to homework gate. That always worked well for us in India. <laughs> that didn't go down too well, did no. it? Over the years. Um, gee, we got through a fair bit when we caught up with Webby this morning. Have you seen anything around the dawn of the Dolphins? I've seen a little bit of the trailer. I'm very excited. I believe Jimmy Smith is speaking to the director tomorrow on afternoons with Jimmy Smith. So that's going to be a great chat. Um, but I'm always intrigued. It seemed like you were a bit haphazard on on the documentary when Webby brought it up. Is that a no? Yes. Are you excited for it? Yeah. No, I, look, I, I didn't know that this, I, I knew that it was around once I started reading about it, et cetera, but I didn't know that they were, they were planning this. And my, that was my question to Webby. What did you learn? You know, did, did you learn some stuff? And, and yeah, and I'm glad they touched on the little things. The things that interest me with the dolphins was how they came around with that name and decided to drop the Redcliffe part of it, because as much as it's just a, byproduct really it's actually quite fascinating so if they're going to tell me something about their birth into the competition then Mm -hmm. i'm up for it the one thing i want to see and this is the only thing i want to see in however many episodes is i want to see a scene where you've got terry reader wayne bennett 
whoever that whoever their NRL head of football is, and I want them to be sitting in a room with a whiteboard there and all players' names. Mm. And I want a ten minute unfiltered chat about oh Wayne, what do you think about this player? No, I don't really like him. I don't think he's good for our team. Oh, what about this player, X, Y, and Z? I'd love to see how the super coach, Wayne Bennett, decides, all right, who does he want to chase? Who does he want to try and sign? Who doesn't he think is up to his standards and the standards of the Dolphins? I'd love to get a behind-the-scenes look at mm. how clubs go about recruiting players. I think that's fascinating to me. I've got text messages here saying, don't even know the NRL season's on. Now, listen, if, if you're listening to SEN, you're pretty much going to know that the NRL season's yes. on, right? Um, but the, the general gist is that the, the outside noise from the NRL isn't loud enough to say, come and watch this season, season 2023. I don't know if that's real because we live and breathe it every single day and we talk about it every single minute. But yeah. do you think that the NRL season launch that's not going to happen plays any part in that? Does, no. Does it worry you no. as a punter, as a footy fan? No. And as a, again, it's not like we work in the media. So all the media, all the journos go and, you know, get some players there, get some interviews. But is it for the fans? No. It's for, you know, the NRL to get some of their best players in front of a nice shot in front of Darling Harbour or wherever it's going to be. It was at Icebergs a few years ago. Get a nice shot. Oh, look at us. This looks cool. Fans don't care about that. Like, let's be, let's be fair, Nick, and fans do not care about that. But fans love an ad. Yeah, so where's the ad? And that's where I was going to go the next step. Where's the advertisement? Now, there was a lot of controversy on the one, I believe it was the start of the 2020 NRL season. There was, I mean... The controversy was ridiculous that has just come out of it. It was when the one with Latrell Mitchell, he draped it, proudly mm. draped an indigenous mm-hmm. flag. People calling it woke. Give me a break. Ridiculous argument in the first place. Um, but there there was a – I remember a listener brought it up a few weeks ago, Maddie, that there is a fantastic ad running on Channel 7 and promoting the AFL. So why the NRL haven't that done a, that? Is that a 7 ad or is that an AFL ad? I think it's a 7 ad. Okay. Well, that's, 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 that's got I nothing that's, to do with I know the that's AFL. Different, but – we need to see more of that from an NRL point of view. I agree. Push it on your social media, on your Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Bang. Mm. Put it out to the people. That's what they want to see. I, I think you can do without a season launch. Oh, so do I. Talking heads. I mean, I, I personally, I don't know anybody who enjoys them. But also, here's my thing. So we've, got, we've already got a couple of texts there saying that didn't know the, the season starts next week. Um, I don't know. I think all the people that want to know about when the NRL season starts already knows about it. Do you know what I mean? And like, what does the ad, what does the season launch do? Are you trying to get on those fans who are a bit undecided about, and that's who you're trying to attract? Because the league fans know when the game starts. The league fans know when their team plays in round one. So I think the the verdicts that we've got in from some of the listeners are some of those fans that don't, are a bit like, oh yeah, when's my team playing here? Or, you know, unless you're really invested I mean, I've, a lot of my mates already know when the season starts. They don't need a launch. Mm. They don't need an ad to say, oh, don't forget, March 2nd, Storm v. Eels kicks it all off and such your team plays on Saturday or Sunday or Friday night. So I, I know it's different for each person, but, yeah, that's if my you, take. If you go back to the question, <laughs> seriously, if you sit around and you're at NRL headquarters and you sit around and you go, they go, okay, we've got the season launch this year. We're going to do it down at Icebergs. We're going to do it. If you were sitting there at the front of the table and you said, why? Why are we doing the season launch? I guarantee you get crickets. And the answer is because. Yeah, because that, that's the way it's always been. That's the way made. it's always been. Yeah. Does it make any difference? No. Does it make somebody feel good? Will it make the New South Wales government feel good if we get the Premier there? Yeah, probably. All that kind of oh, thing. Does, right does, <laughs> does it actually engage anyone? No. So I don't think we're missing out. 
And your answer, your question about, you know, what are you trying to get? Obviously, the NRL footy, the footy fans know when the season's going to start. Yes. They've already invested in it. You know, they've either subscribed to Fox or they're ready for Channel 9's coverage or they're engaged in social media. They've got their memberships. Their kids are getting excited. All that kind of stuff's happening. It's those that aren't engaged in the game that you're trying to get. Does a season launch do that? That's the purpose. A season launch doesn't. A great ad campaign does. Yes, I agree with that. Simply the best. You go back to that. Why was that such a success? Because it got those that weren't already invested in the game invested in it. Can we please not bring back simply the best? Like oh, I'm with you on it's, that. It's, it's had its time. I'm with you. Mate, Tina Sweet Turner, Caroline. <laughs> Tina Turner, legend, simply the best. All the horses. Great, great advertisement campaign, but that was You're said out. and done in the 80s. Fox brought it back a few years ago. Let's just leave it. And Tommy's I'm, Tribune does some great the, things. With the greatest respect, I say this with the greatest respect because he's an Australian legend. Jimmy Barnes, I don't want to see you at any more State of Origins. I don't want to see you at any more NRL Grand Finals. We can, He's up on Barnes. We can be better. We can think better. That's all I'm saying. I love him to death. Great singer. Great Aussie Scottish legend. We don't need him at any more Grand Finals. Uh, the Bulldogs have a series on YouTube. Have you seen this calling, uh, called The Kennel, The Rise of the Bulldogs? Yes, and the Panthers did this a few years ago as well. Rise of the, So th- this is what a lot of clubs are now doing. They've got their own videography department where they do a little behind-the-scenes series and they post it on their Twitter, their Facebook, their YouTube page. And it's a great behind the scenes look. Um, obviously the production value wouldn't be as high as someone like Stan who are producing and directing and doing the whole thing for the Dawn of the Dolphins. But it is a great series that a lot of the clubs have followed suit the last few years. I know the Melbourne Storm did something similar at this preseason. So a lot of the clubs the last few years have gone to their own accord to show great behind the scenes footage to their fans. Yep. In-house, that's what they call it, Tommy. Fans and media love the season launch ad to bag it, <laughs> says James. Gives a few days content for you guys leading into the season, if, if it's worth bagging. People like to bag anything. Yeah, true, true. Uh, Stu does point out that the season doesn't start for another two weeks for Dragon supporters. Well, that's kind of a good thing for Dragon supporters because you're delaying the <laughs> inevitable pain. Hey, hey, hey. What well, is true. Everyone's even. At this stage. Well, yeah. All at least, on zero points. Yeah. Well, you still get points for a buy, though. So Dragons will be on will, two. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, Ryan Pappenhausen. Now, the, there has been some interesting developments, Matty, since we had this whole debate yesterday about when, he's gonna, when is he going to return? Can Melbourne – will the Melbourne Storm miss the finals for the first time since technically 2010? So let's go back. Valentine's Day last Tuesday, the Melbourne Storm put out an injury report for all their players who are under an injury cloud heading into the season. They put for Ryan Pappenhausen that he is on track to return within round six to eight of the 2023 NRL season. Speaking yesterday um, on radio, Ryan Pappenhausen said, something came out the other week that I'd be back around round six to eight. That's a little bit ambitious at the moment. It's a slow process. The mentality at the moment is to get back and be at the level I was performing at before or close enough rather than just coming back. I'm taking a little bit longer, but that's given me confidence to chase after it and make sure I'm back playing a good level of footy. Go back to the first bit. The mentality? No, somebody said. Something came out the other week that I'd be back around round six to eight. That's a little ambitious at the moment. That was the Melbourne Storm put that out. Exactly. Last Tuesday, February 14th, they put out an injury report of all their players saying round six to eight for Ryan Pappenhausen. Paps now said, hey, it's going to be a little bit longer than that. So the mail that we heard yesterday before the show started about Ryan Pappenhausen probably mid-season, I think that's starting to come to light. Yeah, that's pretty true. Mm. 
Somebody's got to get a bit of alignment down there. Yes. <laughs> He's been named in the leadership group. Yes, he has. And the skipper will be announced at half past one today. So maybe Christian Welsh, we've got some reporters down there. Hey, can you quiz him on Ryan right. Pappenhausen's return? Is it round six to eight or is it round 13 to 15? Okay. So originally, I, I read something across the weekend where it was round five. So scratch round five. Yeah. Round six to eight. He's not running yet. He's not running yet. Mid, I'm telling round you. six to eight is what, seven to nine weeks away. Yep. Uh, if he's not running yet I now. I think round six is your mob. Yes. So don't come back yet, Ryan Pappenhausen, <laughs> for that game. But uh, yeah. And if I'm a Storm fan, I'm worried because he's your guy. He is on his day, top five, top six fullback in the NRL. Um, lightning fast. Nearly may have played Origin last year if he wasn't injured. Um it's a worry if I'm a Melbourne Storm fan. Nick Meaney will do a good job, but he's not Ryan Pappenhausen. I'd be worried too. On the text line, Matt says, uh, Matty, what about a campaign with all the NRL skippers riding horses? And then we could have Robbie Dolan miming um, the horses in the background. Can we get Robbie Kearns to lead the charge? Or is that too... <laughs> no, no, no. No, we don't need that. More after this. The Sydney Kings Awards night last night. So a big night for the Kings and an even bigger week or so coming up as they move into another final series. Derek Walton Jr. is on the line. Good morning to you, Derek. Uh, how are you feeling after last night? Feeling good, man. Feeling good. Thanks for having me. Was it a big night? Oh, yeah. It was very eventful. Very eventful. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, you don't need to get into the nitty gritty, but okay, was it a long night? Do you know where I'm heading? Uh, no, it wasn't too long. <laughs> no, not, not too long. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, I, I want to know, you've got a gap in between now and the final series starting. So would you prefer to just keep that momentum going? I mean, this is all part of what happens when you get to the last five games, if it goes that way for the season. You've got to go through awards nights and everything. But would you rather just be waking up today and let's go again tomorrow? Yeah, I, I would rather much do so, man. It would be easy to keep a rhythm and uh, uh, keep the jitters away and be ready. You know, <laughs> easy to just play opposed to wait. When did the jitters start for you? Uh, they don't really jitter. It's more so being antsy and, and uh, anxious to play, not more anything than nerves. <laughs> So what does experience tell you? You've been around a long time. You've played at the highest level. So what does experience say to you on how to cope with this week? Do stuff that's going to benefit for tomorrow and not just for today. So uh, being around for a long time is more so just trying to stay on top of things for the most part, be a step ahead. What about your coach? What is, what's been the word from him once you made this final series? Uh, just to enjoy it and uh, get ready to try to do it all again, honestly, to uh, – you know, try to put together three games now, opposed to two. And uh, that's pretty much been a message from one to five and then from top to bottom, honestly. Is there something from the season, Derek? I mean, this has been an extraordinary run from the Kings, and obviously you turned up in July. Um, and, but before that, the Kings were on such a run. Is there something that you could put your finger on that identifies what you think has been behind the success of the Sydney Kings? Uh, more so just the uh, the commitment to... Everyday excellence and more so just trying to get something done, getting the most out of each and every day for the most part. I think that would be uh, the best way to describe it, just to not um, to be big picture thought process and uh, not really get too caught up in the, the small things and the small stuff that may frustrate you over a long year. But, you know, just try to get the most out of each day. So you've got the awards night out of the way now. So talk us through the process in between now and next Friday. Is it is it situation normal? Do you do your normal training, your normal practice runs? Is there anything different that you reckon you'll be seeing in between now and game time next Friday night? Uh, well, for me, man, I just tried to, you know, take it easy until, uh, you know, probably four to five days prior to. So uh, for me, just you know, 
try to get my legs back under me and uh, recover as much as possible, but uh, realize that we got something important to come up, coming up and then start to gear up for that. So uh, it'll gradually change closer to game time, but as of now, just, you know, kind of staying with it, kind of staying sharp and whatnot, and uh, was pretty much my entire focus. New Zealand Breakers. So last week, last year it was the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. This time around it's the New Zealand Breakers. They've been this way before, Derek. They know how to win in the final series. So what's the plan for the New Zealand Breakers, and where are their dangers? For us, I mean, just pretty much doing what we do will be the focus. I think that's the focus for every time we play. Uh, the opponent changes, but the game plan kind of stays the same when it comes to uh, – Trying to do what we do best. But, um, you know, they got a couple guys that can, you know, make plays like every other team. But for the most part, just dealing with the physicality and then being able to, you know, stay within the rounds of what we do will be more important than, uh, I think, anything that will be thrown at us. Good on you, mate. Appreciate your time this morning. Uh, Best of luck next week. Appreciate you. Now, we did check with DWJ there, Derek Walton Jr., if he was... I said, are you in the bath, mate, when we finish that? And he said, no, 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 I'm just I'm just at the sink. So uh, there you go. He was busy this morning. Uh, 0457 736 736. Coming up in our next hour, uh, a bloke you wouldn't have heard too much about, but you might have seen the products that uh, he's part of. And now there's a program that's benefiting Australian athletes on Athletics Club is, uh, well, they they produce shoes, but they're also, they've got the backing of Roger Federer. He's on board. The story behind that's pretty cool. Olivia Bernard is in Australia. He's one of the co-founders of On Athletics Club. And uh, there are five Aussies that have been li- uh, added to the list of the On Athletics Club under the tuition of Craig Mottram. Ollie Hoare has already been in that program. But it's a pretty cool story behind the whole thing. So you'll hear that interview with Olivia Bernard coming up in our next hour. On the text line, Pete in Sale, Victoria. Morning to you, Pete. Thanks for listening in. The NRL says, Pete, have dropped the ball. Re the season launch. There's been very little advertising, which in my opinion gives rival codes an advantage. Um, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean... The season launch is, you know, all about getting up there and doing the rah-rah-rah, but it's about releasing that ad as well. And this is what we've touched on. They've got two very, very experienced and very good broadcasters there who are going to do that job themselves. But the broadcasters are there to promote the game, promote the game and the season, as in the games each week. They promote, come and watch us. Watch us, not them. The NRL's mission is to promote the entire game and try and get everybody to come on in and invest those people that aren't going to watch every week, come and have a look at our game of footy first. That's the part that's not happening. By the way, AFL hasn't released its own one yet. Here's the news. This is the final hour of the program. Welcome back to you. Now, I've got some news in the world of golf. So uh, it has been clarified now around the British Open that Cameron Smith will be allowed to defend his title. So he is allowed to go back and defend that title. Obviously, the live golf complication is in it, but he will go back in July after tournament organisers, the RNA, confirmed that live golf members are still eligible to compete. Other notable golfers who will automatically qualify will be Phil Mickelson, Henrik Stenson, Louis Oosthuizen as well. The 151st edition of the Open will be July 20 to 23, Royal Liverpool is the venue. 
Um, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, who finished in the top 10 last year, as well as former major winners Brooks Kepka and Patrick Reed, also available to participate. So it backs up the comments from RNA Chief Martin Slumbers, who said banning live players wasn't on our agenda. Uh, and he doubled down on that message in October. So they've come through with the goods. And for the British Open, well, Cam Smith, who made that multi-squillion dollar deal to go over to live golf, can at least go back and defend that title, which is great news. I mean, you don't know what that means in the bigger picture of things, but at least um, when it comes to the British, that's where they're at at the moment. 0457 736 736 is the number if you'd like to text or you can give me a call, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Matt on the text line says, pardon my ignorance, but has the RLPA v NRL standoff been resolved yet? It was either the quietest resolution in history or it's all about to erupt. None of the above. Matt, <laughs> no, it hasn't. Uh, I don't think there's a quiet re- resolution and I don't know if it's about to erupt. We don't know. But the short answer is hasn't been resolved yet. Although, like I said to Webby earlier this morning, once I saw PVL's name start to creep up in the conversation, I don't agree with our previous caller that Andrew Abdo is then superfluous to all of this. That That's just not the case. He's doing a heck of a lot of work here with Clint Newton on the opposite side. But once I saw PVL's head start to pop up in this, I thought maybe we are a little bit closer. Uh, a season launch would be a waste of time and money, says EJ. It's like someone saying, I can't believe it's nearly Christmas. It's not like it doesn't happen every bloody year. (laughs) My one piece of advice for every young and upcoming NRL player is have a bit of self-respect. So that's your golden rule, uh, says EJ. Thank you for that, EJ. The thing that worries me with Dave Warner, him getting hit on the head in a wicket that's slow compared to our wickets. Um, Is it that he's slower to react as he gets on in age? He got hit in the head, mate. Uh, You know, it can happen on slow wickets, fast wickets, and it was a fair old knock too. But I see what you're saying. You know, is he at the back end of his career? Well, yeah. Is he a little bit slow? Nowhere near as fast as what he was when he was 21. No doubt about it. Did that play into it? Not sure. But fact is, got hit on the head by a ball that rose, um, came up at him pretty nastily. And not only that, also has a hairline fracture. Matty, I coached league for 40 years. My one mantra was effort off field in your life translates to efficiency on the field. They go hand in hand. You know, I'm scribbling all these down for my <laughs> for my coaching book, my little coaching playbook. I take all this kind of stuff in, believe me. And the word that you've just used there, Paul, is a, is a word that I picked up on from a number of coaches and, and others in the same kind of, you know, game, but obviously very different league, effort. Effort areas, you hear it all the time. NTRs, no talent required. What's an effort area? An effort area is turning up early. An effort area is staying there. An effort area is going across to your mate and saying, you know what, keep it up, mate. An effort area is putting in on all aspects. And those little effort areas make a very big difference. Well said, Paul. Appreciate that. Have you got any more golden rules, inspiration, whatever you want to call it, one 1170 James is on the line. Good morning to you, James. Morning, Matty. There's a few things going on today, isn't there? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Oh, one quick one. Um... Why have a coach who hasn't played test cricket or played only four games? You know, that's, you know, imagine someone, him trying to tell someone that Steve Smith how to bat, you know, well, really, how many times you batted here? None. I'll shut up. That's my thing on that coaching part. That's stupid having, you should have a cricket coach, should be someone who's been there, done that and knows it all. Mm. But uh, value of a player, 
we'll get into that there of a player. The only way I believe you can tell, judge or work out how good that player is or how valuable it is would be try to think what would that player be, how would he perform, how would he improve a different team altogether. So if you, say, took Mitchell Moses and, say, put him in Titans, would the Titans be better off with him in the team? Would he actually increase them so much that he is then worth 1.4 or 1.25? Or wouldn't they, wouldn't do any of that good? So he's not really worth That's how you do it. But clearly, is like a prime example. All the good players around him, how would he be in a different team? It's not a bad question, James, actually. Uh, how do you judge? Because we did pose it earlier. I actually heard one of the listeners, and you were probably tuned in. In fact, you were um, to the Brecky show this morning. And one of the listeners said, value for money. And those three words jumped out at me. Now, this is obviously off the back of the, the big money that Mitchell Moses is appeared to have locked in at Parramatta. But it did catch my ear. And I went, that's a really good point. How do we attach value for money? What is the criteria around a value for money player? Is it you pay $500,000 for player X and he really performs well. You pay a million dollars for player Y and he doesn't perform that well. I mean, that's the sort of general basic rule of it. Oh, well, we could have got Nico Hines for 500 and we're spending a million over here. Are we getting the same outcome? That's, you know, that's a very general view, but then there are underneath that, if you start to break it down, the questions that you're posing the value-added questions. What does this player bring to the team, bring to the squad? How does this player make other players better? It's a really good point, James, and I appreciate it. I was at a function last week for sponsors of this program, Ream, and one of the speakers was the former CEO of Facebook in Australia and New Zealand. Fascinating speaker. And one of the things that he said about hiring people was, I don't bother looking at your CV, but one of the questions that I will ask what are you going to bring? What are you, why are you over someone else? The answer that he was looking for was somebody who says to him, because I'm going to make everyone else better. Bang, he say, you're hired. Forget about, I don't care about your CV. That's the kind of bloke that we want or the kind of person that we want in our organisation. So if you can attach that to your value as a player in a footy club or a cricket, whatever it is, then boy, you're certainly worth a lot more. So if you're the kind of player that can make those around you even better and the team even better and the results even better, then your value is going to go even higher. Good on you, James. That's a good call. I appreciate it. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Now, I want to tell you about the On Athletics Club. So this is something that's been going for a while now. It's in a heck of a lot of countries, and there are now five more Australians that are being added to the list that – has included already Ollie Hoare and Morgan McDonald to come under the On Athletics Club umbrella. Ben Buckingham, Claudia Hollingsworth and Tess Kersop-Cole, Keely Small, um, Morty Skyring as well, have now been added to this list under Craig Mottram, which will help their careers massively in a whole heap of ways. So let's learn a little bit more about it with the co-founder of On Athletics Club, Olivia Bernard, who joins me. Good morning, Olivia. Uh, good morning, Matt. Pleasure. As I mentioned there, five up-and-coming Aussie athletes selected as part of this international athlete program. How did you narrow it down to five? We've got some talent at the moment. I know, I know. I mean, there's, uh, you know, I mean, always see Australia, always see Oceania, I should say, you know, is one of, of uh, many initiatives we have around the globe. And uh, the same challenge we faced also in the US and, and in Europe. And I think 
what made it then at the end kind of easy is just pick talents that uh, not only are talented when they run and when they perform, but that uh, have also personality. And not saying all the others don't have personality, but uh, we believe in storytelling uh, in our brand and uh, building young talents. And I think the young talents we picked, especially the four girls, ladies, uh, we are super, super not, and that, that, you know, excluding Ben of that list, but we just think uh, they are all super great talents. And uh, again, personalities, they can help build us uh, the brand and storytelling. And the support that they get. So talk to me about the the kind of support. I mean, covering expenses, you know, trainings, kit, travel, everything that, that is a pretty, pretty big hassle for most athletes around the world. You take that away or you make that easier for them. What does that do for athletes in your experience? I mean, the money, the money always helps, but gee, it takes a lot off their plate, doesn't it? Yeah, but Matt, I think, you know, money, I mean, I've been a professional athlete myself, mm. triathlete, long distance triathlete, and I've been in their shoes and I've experienced that, you know, getting money, getting sponsorship is one thing, but we want to go beyond uh, that kind of support, right? I mean, uh, uh, as you said, you mentioned it, right? Money can help and is, is super important, crucial to pay your journeys and uh, uh, many things in life, right? But I think as a brand, and especially as on, we want to provide many more things. I mean, you look, uh, we talked about before, uh, to getting young athletes under our belt. They have maybe issues not knowing how, you know, how to go, how to actually sign a, I mean, how to set up a contract and make sure everything's right in the contract in, in short and long term. And we can support them there because we have a legal department. That's just one example. And many other things. So, so we call it the 360 uh, support. We want to give athletes. And uh, the reason why we do it, you know, give them support uh, in many other uh, topics around what, what, you know, to actually then perform is enable them to, to concentrate only to perform uh at their best when when they need it you know at those big races is it, is it even the world championship the olympics or the local races or the national championships mm. yeah gee it's a it's a great load for them not to have to worry about all that stuff or get the help that they probably need and then focus as you say you've been there you know what it's like to compete at the highest level and and to not have to worry about that is a, is a great outcome craig Mottram is the man who's going to run your Oceania division or who is running that. I mean, Australian audiences and sport lovers know Craig, know how tough he is, know how successful he's been. How how did you earmark somebody like Craig into this role? You know, I mean, this role is probably the most important role. You know, everyone talks about the athletes at the end of the day, right? Because they are going to be in the focus, like the media, like yours, right? Is it radio, is it TV, is it print media? But at the end of the day, it's it's the center of it all is always the coach because the coach attracts the right talents and builds them. So uh, we have found it very challenging not really to find the athletes at the end of the day, but to find the right coach that sets the right seed so we can actually then turn things into a wild uh, rainforest. Uh, with many athletes and results that make actually the garden. So uh, with Greg, we believe we have found that seed and we are, uh, I mean, I've not talked, to be very honest, to, to Greg in person, but I've seen these uh, great results he has had and also heard many great things, uh, how he's, he's actually guiding our athletes to, to better results. 
Gee, you've got a footprint, and I, and I mean that with pun intended, but you've got a footprint since you started this whole thing. And on can now be found in more than 60 countries. You've got Roger Federer who's on board. Just tell us that little story because that came about almost organically, didn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't so much an approach. You guys just noticed that he was wearing some of your shoes. Oh, exactly, exactly, Matt. It wasn't even us approaching him. I mean, <laughs> yes, we are Swiss. That might be the only thing we have in common, and maybe I'm, I was an athlete like him, right? But uh, again, he was actually, as you said, as you mentioned, you know, we saw on Instagram that he was posting pictures wearing our shoes and what we often do. Then we send those celebrities, we send the care package and just thanked him very much for wearing our shoes and hopefully he's going to keep wearing them. And then uh, it was actually not him in person, but his agent came back and said he would love to have a dinner with, you know, the three founders of the company in Zurich one day. And uh, yeah, obviously we said didn't say no, right? <laughs> and it, it was a great, it was a great dinner. And ever since, uh, yeah, I think not only the business side of things and him having him as an investor and partner on board, but also as a friend, uh, means a lot to me pers- in person personally because again, I've, I've been an athlete, and but also the friendship only grew, and uh, we really enjoy having him on board. Also, uh, as you probably know, we have a line called the Roger uh, in our, you know, in our brand environment, and uh, he's really helping, supporting uh, to build that and widen that uh, around the globe. It's a great story. Uh, Ollie Hoare and Morgan McDonald already involved in your program, and now another five Aussies benefiting from it. Um, we appreciate your time. Enjoy your trip here in Australia, and we look forward to catching up again when you come down soon. Thank you so much, Matt. I really enjoy the time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> 23 and a half minutes after 11 o'clock. Let's go to the open line. John's on the line. Good morning, John. Super rugby. It's not too far away. No, Friday, looking forward to it, Matt. It should be a fantastic opportunity for the punters to get out to Allianz and uh, support the Waratahs against the evil old Brumbies. But, um, <laughs> yeah, fantastic opportunity for what has now become a little bit more experienced side under Darren Coleman to... Uh, start the season, but it's going to be a tough game. Yeah. Uh, and Markham's I s- got a very good coach. I, I see Angus Angus good. Bell's re-signed, mate, so that's a good, that's a great get. Yeah, well, we've got Harry Johnson Holmes and him should be the foundation for, you know, at least maybe one or two titles in this period of the, the contract, which is the next five or six years. So uh, both those guys are under the age of 23, both at Sydney University, so there'll be great continuity in the front row for those guys, but... Yeah, we need a bloke who can throw the ball into the line out a bit straighter <laughs> than poor old Dave and Tolo Lotto. So I think the exciting thing is seeing the likes of Nimi, uh, sorry, uh, Nemani Lindolo and also, of course, Iggy Parisi when he can come back. So uh, he was such a dynamic player for the Waratahs in the last few years, but just had terrible injuries. And uh, hopefully Tane Edmund can get that number 10 spot because I think he's a guy who's going to be the Wallabies fly half for the next 10-odd years. Mate, while I've got you, so you mentioned Darren Coleman, obviously, you know, that's his team and, and his focus, but Eddie Jones is there now. And, and, and on the top of all this, how much do you reckon Super Rugby in Australia will change, if any, knowing that Eddie's paying close attention? I mean, Dave Rennie did, Michael Checker did, but Eddie's made it very clear. Performance Super Rugby and you're a chance of being in the Wallabies lineup or squad. Guy, it's certainly at the grassroots level. You had this Ashby revival style sort of thing on the game with lots of people coming back to sign up, getting their kids to play the game. But uh, you know, Eddie's an absolute pro. He's been to three World Cups as a coach himself. He's a great player, even though he didn't play for the Wallabies. But uh, 
it'll be interesting to see the intensity of this generation of player, how they can handle his intensity, because certainly some of the stories that have come out of England have been that uh, some of the guys weren't quite up to scratch, and some of the guys that couldn't quite handle his training methods are back in for the Six Nations team. But um, oh, look, I think it's an exciting opportunity. You know, uh, not surprisingly, the big Tongan Thors decided to move down to Melbourne, where it'll be much more of a family for him with all those Pacific Island guys. But um, yeah, Eddie's an interesting character because he's had such great success and I think he always coveted the, to come home and do the job and he's got a great opportunity not only with the World Cup but also a home World Cup and also the British and Irish Lions in two years' time. So for Eddie, it's just all about getting the cup. I think they can smash and grab it. Again, it's the likes of Izzy Parisi, Tane Edbed and a big fellow that plays for the Melbourne Rebels, uh, Potty Falasini, can keep on their feet. Um, yeah, we've got a great chance of actually winning the World Cup considering... All the other teams look like they're falling around themselves, but mm. you've never seen a New Zealand side badly prepared no. for the rugby or the All Blacks. So no. there's great pride in that uh, particular team. And a big, big clash that kicks off Friday night is going to be the Chiefs have against the uh, Canterbury Crusaders. They look to make it their tenth in a row or whatever. But um, yeah. yeah, it's a really exciting time for the game in that sense. And I think a mob like the Fijian Drill with another year under their belt under Michael Byrne, a bit more of a cultural identity with them. Uh, they've got a better facility over there in Suva. And they could do some. Hopefully, they will start beating some of the New Zealand sides, so we've got a bit of a better chance. But uh, yeah, no, really exciting opportunity for the game off the back of all this publicity with Eddie Jones. But uh, it's yeah. uh, interesting time how it should be coming down into the grassroots of the game as well. So how New Wales rugby handle that will be a challenge. But also not being able to see the games on free-to-air television is very disappointing as well. Apart from the game on Gem on Saturday night, so. That's been a common complaint a lot of people have said to me, but that's the price you pay for having a, a paywall for your, for your sport. Yep. Good on you, John. Thanks for the call, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, super rugby. So Waratahs v Brumbies, that's the first of the Australian uh, games or Australian teams playing. Crusaders and Chiefs will kick it off, as John said. That's Friday afternoon our time, 5 o'clock our time, and then 7.30 uh, on Friday night. Allianz Waratahs v Brumbies. P- uh, Moana Pacifica against Fiji and Drua. On Saturday afternoon, the Highlanders will have the Blues on the Saturday 5 o'clock game. Reds v Hurricanes Saturday night and Force v Rebels uh, later on. So over there in Perth, so a late start for us on the Eastern Seaboard. I note too for the Queensland Reds, Tom Liner wearing the number 10 jersey. And yes, that's Michael Liner's son. And guess what? He's got a good kicking game as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But John makes some really good points. I mean, how do they capitalise at super rugby level on the noise that's been generated by Eddie Jones's appointment and the overarching desire to get that World Cup success and try and match it with the uh, with the All Blacks when we get to the Bledisloe? Because that that's the you know that's hanging there. It's just sitting there. But Super Rugby's got to start getting in and doing all the work. So can they capitalise on that? As a game, um, that's going to be one of the big keys. But there's certainly more noise being generated about rugby union than has been over the last couple of years, and let's hope that it continues. Good game with a lot of good people in it, and they're trying to do the right thing. So hopefully so. Uh, The Kingswood Welder, nice to hear from you, Welder. So you must be walking around Sydney Motorsport Park with the old earbuds in and tuned in. Thanks for listening, mate. Uh, Good morning, Matty. It's wet, wet, wet here at SMSP for the Supercars Test Day. Great to see and hear the Gen 3 cars. Hopefully it's a blue oval year. Uh, thank you, mate. Look, I've I've been across all this, obviously, but I'm yet to stand up close and personal with one of the new babies. Um, but, gee, they look good. So how good do they sound, Kingswood Welder? Let me know that because that was one of the – it was one of the keys a long time ago.
we're not going to lose the DNA of our sport, which is it's a bloody noisy sport. So let's keep the noise going. But they look good. They look nasty. They look big. They look brutish. They look like supercars. They look like Australian supercars. Um, thank you, mate. Uh, and thank you for tuning in. Let us know what your spot out there. I had a quick chat with Fabian Coulthard the other day, uh, and he was down at Winton ready to jump into his new beast beforehand and he said mate there's a lot going on there's a lot happening I said have you driven it yet he goes no not yet but he was genuinely excited I mean these guys I give you an insight into a motorsport driver's head they will drive anything anywhere anytime right so those practice laps it does their brain in when they can't get out there those qualifying laps they want as many as they can they will just they just love being in the car because they're a constant learning process and then you get into the argy-bargy of the race itself and it's a different kettle of fish. So any time that they can do it, they won't give two hoots if it's wet. They'll be out there doing it. The team does. <laughs> you know why? Because the team has an owner and the owner has a checkbook. And the checkbook starts to get a few more butts in it once the drivers start crashing the cars. Pretty easy to piece together. Now, we're just watching Sugar. Speaking of the great Joel Kane, we're watching him on the... Fox Greatest NRL Game replays, so number 71. Remember back in 2000, Canberra v uh, West Tigers, and it was snowing. I remember it well. I think, is TK calling this one or was that? Yeah, TK was calling that Um, because I remember watching it at the time. We've just seen Sugar nail a kick. Uh, So Tigers 6, League Canberra nil here. (laughs) 26 and a half minutes to go in the first half 23 years ago. A little bit of um, a little bit of snow on the on the hair for sugar, all the way back then. Jeez, he looks good, doesn't he? Can I give you the? Do you want me to give you the results? Do you want to spoil it for you? Yeah. Okay. So it well, was round. Mate, there's, we're, there's 26 minutes to go in the first half. There's 26 minutes to go in our show. Yes. Yeah, so. so that means we've still got the second half to go. So round 17. Yeah. This was from 2000. Camera Raiders actually went on to win at 24-22. So oh. if Joel maybe kicked another goal, yeah. kick, went four from four and said three from four, could have gone to golden point. Loz has just put a chip kick in that, I mean, you'd think it'd, it'd get the, the ground cover snow and just keep sliding, but somehow he's put a chip kick in. And it's just stopped dead in the in-goal area. And now Canberra are claiming that try. So, oh, geez, I wish. Where's Sugar when you need him? Get on the line, son. Let us let us know what's going on here. Who was the ref that day? Who is the ref? Uh, you need to do some digging on that one, Tommy. Um, back in the days Paul when... Paul Simpkins. Paul Simpkins, there you go. Uh, back in the days when the Raiders were sponsored by Aussie Mail. Um, gee, this is great stuff. So it you... says here 7,384 brave souls ventured out to GAO Rubbish. Stadium. In front of the snow here. 7,000? Yeah, so right. So in, in that season as well. So that was 2,000. <laughs> that was the West Tigers' first year, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So they finished. That's it. Speaking of first years, you've got the Dolphins coming up. The West Tigers finished 10th that year. Raiders finished 4th. Raiders would go on to lose to <clears throat> the Roosters oh. in the semifinals. <laughs> Do you know what the catch cry was? Because I've just seen it there. You know what the catch cry? We've been talking about the league and coming out and simply the best mm-hmm. and real or unreal, which was last year's. Can I take a guess? Did it have something to do with the new millennium? No? No. No? Luke Williamson with the kick. There you go. 6-all. Uh, six 6-all, all. Six all, folks. Uh, kick successful from Williamson in the snow. So 6-all, 22 and a half minutes to go. The catch cry was NRL... What a game. Oh, wow. Okay. That was it. Yeah. I don't remember the ad campaign in 2000, but uh, that was, that's what they had there on the, on the, um, when they went to the bunker before the bunker existed. My favourite ad campaign ever 
is the Hoodoo Gurus. That's my team. Yeah. I still listen to it all the time, like that song all the time. The ad was great. It just brings you back memories of, as well, the um, the Tarzos, the footy cards that they would put in the Smith's chips packets. Mm. As a kid, you try and collect all of the, the cards and, oh, so good. So you talk about Simply the Best. The one before that, folks, help me out here. Have I got it before or after? Um, uh, what was the one from Tina Turner? It's just slipped my mind. But the, the one before it was what you get is what you see. Yeah. That was a killer. That That was all about the sexification of the NRL player. That that was all about making the rugby league player shirts off, spunky oh, and sexy. Eddie Nelson. That's, that's what it was all about. That whole campaign was that, and that made them genuine rock stars, if, if you know, on the broader sense, and introduced an entirely different audience. I would dare say that that was a better campaign than simply the best. Would that go well down, down well today, the sexification of our rugby league players? Well, no, because... No because there'd be plenty of Reddit willing to jump on it. But in terms of a marketing campaign, no problems. Canberra scored 10-6. Uh, Williamson won from one. I reckon he's going to slot this. Oh, it's way out wide. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> so <laughs> He barely kicked it into his left knee. Uh, so that William, was from the sideline. 10-6 scores remain. Two from five this day. Don't, but, don't give me that, mate. I'm watching this uh, live. Sorry. Now I know the score. Uh, right, 15 and a half minutes to go. Who would have thought we'd be sitting here commentating a match that was 23 years ago in the snow down in Canberra. That's how we roll. What's on your plate? Uh, Mitchell Moses. I think that's probably been the biggest, if not one of the biggest talking points for today's show. And kind of where he sits in the, the hierarchy, the the rich list of the NRL players. So it's reported $1.25 million a year. We don't have a length of contract yet. But as you mentioned to Webby earlier in the show today, he did have that player option to activate and he had to hit that before April one. Um, for 2024. Instead of doing that, he's just said, give me a long-term deal. So we're still waiting for the details on how long that deal is, three years, four years, five years, who knows. But remember, the Daily Telegraph did, or News Corp in general, did a rich list, top rich list 100 um, earners of the NRL players. I remember we had Peter Bedell on last year, kind of going through all the details, where certain players sit, how, you know, how many players are at a club in the rich 100. So if Mitch Moses is plopped in there right now, so before this, I need to go and find out where he was before. It's fantastic radio here by me. Um, as of right now, if he was put in there at $1.25 million, mm-hmm. he'd be um, second place behind Nathan Cleary. News Corp has Nathan Cleary at $1.3 million. Before his deal, his new deal, Mitchell Moses was the 10th highest earning player in the NRL. Reportedly, this is all reportedly, um, at 10th place with $950,000. So it's a pretty big, if 1.25, what's that? You do the math there. Not me. I'm bad at maths. So 950 to 1.25 for four years, five years, who knows? Um, it's a big ask, isn't it? So you got the top five as it was a few months ago was five, Tedesco 1.1, Callum Ponga 1.1, Ben Hunt 1.1, Daly Cherry Evans 1.2, and you probably slot in Moses either two or three, and Nathan Cleary at first with 1.3. So as you mentioned before, there wasn't a lot of attractive options other than Mitch, but do you think the Eels put themselves a little bit in a corner in terms of how much they're willing to pay? Who knows? Well, that's what they're willing to pay. That's the thing. At the end of the day, they're only going to put across the money that they're willing to pay. So because let's not forget, they've got the option to walk away from it. So they can turn around and go, no, we're not. If you want 1.3, we're just not putting 1.3 on the table, mm-hmm. and I'm just making up a random number. But 
So that that's the other thing to not forgetting all of this, that you've got to – they obviously had a number in their head that they could go to and maybe they'll have a little bit of flexibility about that. So at the end of the day, they've gone, we get our man, he's worth 1.2 in this market at this time and we can afford that. So have they paid overs? You'd have to ask them because there, there would be a point where they'd walk away from that deal. Would they not? A hundred percent. They say, well, Mitch, you can't string us along for too long. And this was going to go to April. So Mitch had that, had that option to, had the ability to um, activate a one-year option in his favour for 2024, but he had to hit that by April 1st. So that's around, just before round four. So they had to make a decision quick, smart. And I think the positive thing for the Parramatta Eels here is, all right, you've re-signed Mitchell Moses, who is the leader, the best player at your club until, let's say... Let's say it's a, what, four-year deal, so end of 2027. You've got your captain, Clint Gutherson, wrapped up until the end of 2025, and you also re-signed Dylan Brown on a long-term deal um, in December last year. So three-quarters of your spine and your most important players, a lot of people would argue, are all wrapped up. So that's big. So now you can say, all right, we've got our top line of our salary cap in control. Now where do we need to look? We need some outside backs. I think they need some more forwards. They've lost some. Um, there's a, a guy that they've signed. Speaking about value for money, here you go, Matty. Yep. Jermaine Hopgood signed from the Penrith Panthers. Only played a, was only able to play a handful of games over the last few years given how good the Penrith Panthers team was. Um, big, big raps on him coming out of Penrith. Signed a, a few years deal with, um, with the Parramatta Eels. I wouldn't be surprised if he can have the same trajectory as someone like an Isaiah Papali'i. Signed, remember, Isaiah Papali'i signed in 2021 for around $150,000 for a two-year deal. Because he was touted as the next big thing in the Warriors. It just didn't eventuate. Now had two fantastic years with the Eels. Got a big money offer offer from the Tigers. And jumped at that. And terrific rewards for him. So that can happen for someone like a Jermaine Hopgood. And mm. he's tipped as a, va- a good value for money player for this year. Um, one thing we haven't spoken about today. You've, you've kept it under wraps. I think you're a bit nervous. Josh Schuster. Oh, yes. Josh Schuster. Yes. Manly 5'8". Calf he injury. Confirmed well, he fi- out for he round one. He finished that game with a big whack of ice on his right calf and I noticed it at the back end of it so uh, you know there was clear issues there and he was in his civvies essentially he was out of the playing give quick smart so they're on to that but he's definitely out for round one and that's a big blow that's a very very big blow concerning as well Kieran Foran's no longer there too Mm. so I think they they play the Saturday 3pm game against Cameron Serraldo's new look Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs so it's going to be a very very interesting 2023 You've had constant injuries for Manly Seagulls the last few years. I think there would have been a little bit of silver lining, though. You, you look at the headline, Manly Seagulls player out for round one. You got Your mind goes, oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Oh, uh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you see Josh Schuster, not great. Calf injury, yeah. okay. You can work it. At least it's not something too serious. Quick one. Who are the coaches in this match that we're watching? Uh, Canberra v. West. No, don't, don't, don't. Look, you're oh. not allowed to Google. Who, oh, who was, two coach, years old who was coaching Canberra in 2000? Think of a name. I don't know. Think of a Canberra name. Laurie, da- Laurie Daly. No He's idea. playing. He's playing. There you go. An even bigger name. Oh, Sheens. Ferner. Meninga. Meninga. There Who you was go. coaching the West Tigers? Who was their first ever coach? Who was coaching the Tigers? I'll answer that after the break. Uh, welcome back. Jimmy Smith is coming up uh, very, very soon. So you've picked it in the ad break. It was Junior Pierce who was coaching uh, the West Tigers back in 2000. You remember this game? Um, oh, yeah. Jimmy... <laughs> Well, we looked up, and the first thing we saw was a 15-year-old Joel Kane taking a shot at goal. 
Uh, How was he? Was he square to the ball? He mate, likes to make sure the kickers are square to the ball. Yes, days. very much so. Um, but, gee, he looked lovely with a little bit of snow just falling down on the face. The snow's now gone. We're into the second half, and most of the ground cover's gone. Um, snow ground cover, that is. I remember, so I was in England at this time. Who'd have thought that I'd go to England to get warmer um, <laughs> than going? And, and uh, Shawnee Garlic was sideline commentator, yep. and he got pelted with snowballs, which was... <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, they just crossed to Matt Sears. Matty Matty Sears. Sears. Yeah, and just as you talked about being in England, they just crossed, I mean, not just because it's 23 years ago, but just crossed <laughs> just crossed to Matt Sears and he looked as though he was in England at your oh, game right. reporting on the sideline, but he was injured that day. So they just crossed him. He's got a beanie on, all, all sorts of stuff. What was the worst conditions weather-wise that you played in? You would have played over there with, with snow on the ground. No. You didn't? No, no, because it's underground comp. heating. Summer oh, comp. summer comp, summer comp. Mind you, ah. you, you start playing games in January. I think we had our first Challenge Cup game early February. Um, yeah. And we, we played our first – I didn't play in it, but they, we had our first Challenge Cup game against Barrow at Barrow in Vaness. Oh. Up, yeah. Woo. That just sounds cold. Yeah, it was cold. Windy? I, I was on the sideline that day just thinking, what on earth have I got myself into here? Um <laughs> But they were a second division team, and uh, we had a win. Uh, yeah, so just just cold, just yeah. went through your bones, Ugh. you know. But um, yeah, who'd have thought you'd get away from the Canberra Raiders team over to Salford to get a little bit warmer? I was also uh, just looking up here on another television that Voyager is a band from Western Australia who's been selected for to represent Australia in the Eurovision. Yes. Contest. And I thought that sort of works, doesn't it? Because really, Western Australia would prefer to be part of the European mm. Union mm. than Australia at times. You Might get that be the breakaway. Could be. That could be the start of it. <laughs> could be. The, that's where they officially announce it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You've won. And by the I'm way. I'm telling you, we we need to do a conspiracy theory show. We'd love it. Right I'd love here. it. Yeah. I'd love it. Just absolute. You know who's a great conspiracy theorist? Who's that? The great Natasha Belling. Natasha Belling? Yeah. Yep. Where did I see she popping up? To, uh, she's been doing a bit on seven. Yeah, ripper, right. ripper, ripper person. Right. But man, can she roll a conspiracy theory with the best of them? Is that right? Yeah. Give me, give me uh, an oh, EG. Oh, anything. That. Right. It's... Okay. <laughs> Gee, my my hairs, it. my head's a little bit uh, itchy. Well, 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 well. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a mobile phone? Here's yes. Sugar. Uh... Here's sugar. So he's currently he's currently kicking at seventy percent. You reckon he's got this? Oh, the square to the ball? Was he square, square to the ball? I don't know. Not he sure. He likes to get his kickers square to the ball. But he got it. 49th minute in this one. Canberra 18 leading the West Tigers 16. We know the result, but we'll keep calling it um, because it was a heck of a lot of fun to watch. But uh, all right, what's coming up on your show? Jim, uh, we got sidetracked there. Uh, Jared Condon, Adrian Prezenko. Um, again, I'll pull back the curtain on this one because he's playing golf. Um, Jeff Lawson. So we've done the pre-record. Man, oh, man. You just – in the end, I, I went about 14 minutes with Jeff, and you just go – there is so much cricket intelligence in you that, and, you know, he's a former first-class captain, 46 test matches for Australia, coach of Pakistan, so has all this experience mm. on subcontinental pitches. And he just brings up, I reckon, in the space of that, or, you know, six minutes during the course of that conversation where he brings up seven points where you go, mm, oh, I wonder if that's been contemplated. Yeah. They're just really basic. And when he points them out, they're so obvious. You know, for example, Pat Cummins, what have you made of his captaincy as a, you know, fast bowler captaincy? You know, Pat's, when he played in Australia, was amazing. You know, incredible. He led with his bowling. But 
He's never captained at Sheffield Shield. He doesn't captain spinners. And captaining spinners is not going, well, when do I put them on to bowl? It's right. When they are on, where am I putting my field? What are we trying to do with this spell out of this bowler? Like mm. all this stuff where you go. And he, and he just said, well, the sweep shot, well, that's a bad shot to play when a ball's keeping low and slow. You know, That's just technically, that's technical 101. You just don't do that. So how did that come about? Yeah. Good. Um, I mean, I had a really deep chat with Smithy today, Ian Smith, and Smithy, I think, is the same. Yeah. You know, that, those, that, that knowledge and that experience and those, it, just everything that they've got just sitting in their heads, it makes you start asking further questions about it. And his take on the situation in Test Match Cricket at the moment with yes. Basball and how yes. they negate, that was fascinating. So looking forward to Henry. Paramat, your man Paramat's quickly jumped on. Damn you, James Smith. How did you hear about us West Australians uh, shifting to join the EU? See, he's a thinking man. Either that or southern, another part of Southern Africa, I think. <laughs> Didn't that how the Himalayas were formed? That that India, I'm talking quite a few Hang years ago, that India floated up from the Indian yeah. Ocean and then, yeah. uh, and I don't know whether it was called the Indian Ocean yeah. then, but uh, floated you know up the and then just went bang. Forget about David Attenborough, Ice Age. Ice That's Age. what you need to watch. Okay. Have a good show. Thanks, Matty. Well, you know what? The game's over down there in Canberra, folks, 23 years ago. <laughs> uh, well, 15 seconds to go. And as Tommy pointed out, Canberra end up winning at 24-22 on the first year of the West Tigers. So they went down. What started out as a snowy day ends up here in sunshine. It's all a bit muddy, but the, um, the snow's left the ground. Great replay. Great memories. Uh, Make sure you keep the conversation going with Jimmy Smith. He'll tell you about how the Himalayas were formed. He's got it all covered today. And then, of course, the run home with Joel and Fletch later on this afternoon. Corey Parker's going to join us on the show tomorrow. So uh, look forward to your company then. Have a great day, everybody. We'll do it all again tomorrow morning. Bye for now.